Hi, my name is Dad's to go. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. What is depression? It is a serious illness that negatively affects the lives of more than 264 million people. This illness can cause long-lasting feelings of sadness and despair. People who suffer from depression tend to lose motivation and interest in doing things that they once enjoyed. Depression is also one of the main causes of suicidal thoughts. And according to the World Health Organization, up to 800,000 people die each year because of suicide. There are many reasons why we have depression, and it could be our genetics, our past trauma, the conflict with our friends or family, or the loss of our loved ones. Whatever the reason might be, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Because it's only a matter of time before we all experience depression ourselves. So, if you're feeling depressed right now, or if you just want to help your loved ones through depression, this video is for you. Here are three ways to deal with depression that I find very effective. Number one, social interaction. If you're trying to help those with depression, it's important not to try to fix them by saying stuff like "Stop being so sad all the time, just be happy." You should be grateful for all the things you have in life. As humans, we can't help but feel the way we feel. So, to help someone overcome depression, listen to what they have to say, validate their emotions, and treat them very patiently. But If you're a depressed person, it's okay to open up and let people in. Studies have shown that having meaningful relationships and great emotional support from others can lessen the effect of stress and anxiety, resulting in lower levels of depression. On the flip side, social isolation can increase the chances of dying from a heart attack by 30 percent. And Since we tend to spend a lot of time on social media, this makes it even worse. So how about we start having more face-to-face -face interactions with other people? Number two, anti-rumination. When you're depressed, you tend to beat yourself up by repeatedly viewing your past mistakes over and over again. You overthink because. Somehow you believe it's going to help you understand the reason why it happened. So you ask yourself these questions: Why did I make such a horrible mistake? Why couldn't I just be good enough? Why did it happen to me? But the more you ruminate about what already happened in the past, the more depressed you will become. So. How do you stop yourself from overthinking? Keep yourself busy. That's right. Keep yourself busy by rebuilding good habits. Take care of your health, and tire yourself out with many activities during the day, because what it will end up doing is to let you spend more time taking actions rather than replaying your past mistakes in your head. Number three, healthy sleep. 
Depression can make it difficult to fall asleep at night due to the effect of rumination. It causes you to feel tired throughout the day. This, in turn, makes you unable to function properly at work or in school. So, to have better, deeper sleep, you need to do a few things. First of all, stop yourself from overthinking by filling your day with energy-consuming activities. Second. Use your bed for sleeping only, because otherwise it will prompt you to do other activities that prevent you from falling asleep. And last but not least, expose yourself to natural sunlight for at least 10 minutes every day, because when you're depressed, it's easy for you to sleep in and lose track of time. Therefore, it's crucial to adjust your circadian rhythms. So that you can feel sleepy at the right time again. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families. So that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Datsugo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Weight loss is never easy for those who want to be in shape, and given misinformation on the internet. This makes it even harder for anyone to start. However, it is not as complicated as you might think. Today, in this video, I am going to show you how to lose weight while gaining muscle at the same time. First, let's talk about body recomposition. What is it exactly? Unlike body mass index or BMI. It focuses on the amount of bone, muscles, water, and fat in your body, instead of just height and weight. This new approach to weight loss allows us to understand our health better. It's because by looking at a scale, it is not enough to tell if you're losing fat or muscle. But weight loss is weight loss. Why do we even care if it's fat loss or not? Well. Carrying too much fat has been associated with many health problems like diabetes, cancer, and heart disease. If you want to prevent them altogether, you need to have a healthy ratio of muscle to fat. Now, to help with that, here are three fundamentals you need to know before trying to lose some weight. Number one, cardio versus weight training. A study was conducted on 119 individuals who were randomly divided into three exercise groups: resistance training, aerobic training, and aerobic and resistance training. After eight months, those who did cardio showed to lose more fat than the resistance training group. Meanwhile, The groups that had weightlifting in their training gained more muscle than those from the aerobic group. You see, weightlifting is more effective at building muscle, while cardio is better for weight loss. Therefore, if you want to get the best of both worlds, 
Try combining cardio with three to four days of weight training each week. Number two, food. Though not all foods are created equal, some are more suitable for weight loss than others, and junk foods like ice creams, pizzas, sugary drinks, cakes, and candies are just too high in carbs to be considered healthy. I understand that eating them can be fun and exciting for many people, and yes, they are delicious, but they don't contain enough important nutrients like fiber, vitamins, and minerals for us to be healthy. So, if you want to stay fit while losing some weight, a whole food diet based on lean protein sources and unprocessed vegetables might just be for you. Protein is one of the most important nutrients for weight loss and muscle building. Having lots of it can help maintain your muscle, increase your metabolism, and reduce your appetite. Surprisingly enough, protein not only makes you eat less but also helps you burn more calories. Therefore, don't be afraid to increase your protein intake in your diet, as long as you keep it under 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight, you'll be fine. Number three, patience. You see. It's important to have the right mindset when it comes to achieving anything, but sadly, not a lot of people are patient enough in this day and age, and most tend to quit too early because they don't want to wait. They want it fast and they want it now, but it takes a lot of time and effort to see meaningful results, and weight loss is no exception. It requires a lot of patience to undo years and years of weight gain and poor habits. It's not going to be easy because no matter how much you try to lose weight today, you won't see immediate change tomorrow. So, be patient, my friend. Be patient. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nego. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. You see, we humans don't like to be controlled by others. That's why it's hard to persuade someone, especially when their needs haven't been met or fulfilled yet. Maybe you have already experienced this firsthand. And that compelled you to look for simple but effective ways to get someone to listen to you, or perhaps you just want to create more meaningful relationships that are full of love and respect with your family and friends. Whatever the reason might be, today in this video, I am going to show you three basic principles in the book *Influence: The Psychology of Persuasion* by Robert Cialdini. Which I've learned and used over the past few years of my life. Principle one: Authority. Again, we hate to feel under the control of other people, but 
Interestingly, we tend to follow and believe in our authoritative figures like teachers, lawyers, doctors, CEOs, police officers, and many more. And oftentimes, wearing a uniform can also do the trick. That's why you're encouraged to dress up nicely in professional settings so that you can be treated accordingly. However, it's not just the look that matters. It's also how you present yourself and the way you talk to others. But how can you be influential when you are still working your way towards being an authority? From my experience, I tend to use proven facts and stories of successful people and the more experienced to persuade others. And it already worked wonders when I was still in high school. Of course, I'm just speaking solely based on my own experience, so feel free to discard it as you like. Principle 2. Reciprocity this is also a great way to influence others without having to be an authority. The principle of reciprocity basically tells you to treat others like how you want to be treated. Why? It's because by nature we feel obliged to give back to those who have previously done us a favor. For example, when a friend invites you to their party, you probably feel indebted and want to invite them to your future party. Now, you might be thinking, so it's okay to ask someone for a favor right away after I help them get what they want, right? Well, logically, yes, but remember what I said earlier in this video? That's right, as human beings, we don't like to be told what to do even when they feel obliged to give back, they still feel pressured to do what you ask them to. It's because, in their minds, it feels like their freedom of choice has been taken away. So, to solve this problem, how about focusing more on giving values to others? And by not expecting anything in return, your actions will significantly feel more genuine and kind. This, in turn, will help you to be more likable. And, of course, who doesn't want to say or do something nice to the person that they like? Then, you might also be thinking, but isn't it stupid to just give everything away for free? What if they take advantage of me instead? There is no rule for how much value you should give to a person. It totally depends on your level of comfort. So, don't you worry, this act of giving is supposed to serve another purpose anyway. There is an old saying that goes like this, If you love someone, set them free. If they come back, they're yours. If not, they were never meant to be. And, if someone doesn't add value to your life, it's okay to let them go, simply because they're not ready yet. And your time and energy are just too precious to waste. This is where we apply the principle 3, consistency. When someone makes a decision, they want to feel good about it. So, to protect their self-image, they will try to follow through with that decision. Therefore, if someone chooses to stay by your side, 
It should feel effortless to ask them for a favor and the next ones after that, because according to Leonardo da Vinci, it is easier to resist in the beginning than at the end. Of course, this doesn't mean you can just stop putting in more effort after you get what you want. It just means that once you have found someone meaningful in your life, you must continue to strengthen your relationships with them. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Are you sick and tired of having to deal with stress all the time? If this is you, no worries. Many are feeling the same way too. Like most people, you might feel an urge to avoid stress by playing video games, watching Netflix, drinking, or spending too much time hanging out with friends. And I'm not saying those things are bad because once in a while you have got to blow off some steam, right? So, in an attempt to help you solve this problem once and for all, today I'm going to show you a different way of thinking, so that it might help you gain enough willpower to continue and to work more efficiently. Before I go any further, I would like to confess that I used to procrastinate a lot as well. I struggled to figure out what I should do to become more productive. Then one day, I found that stress is not only inevitable but also necessary and beneficial. You might be asking, how can stress be beneficial? Isn't it supposed to be bad for your body or something? Well, I don't blame you, since I also fell victim to the bombardment of clickbaity articles like the effects of stress on your body, nine ways stress is more dangerous than you think. And physical dangers of stress. Even when we find something positive about stress, many of us tend to ignore it. Why? As far as I am concerned, the reason might be that, under the influence of people around us, we formed this belief that stress is harmful and we should avoid it altogether. So, what's wrong with this belief? And how does it have anything to do with our health and productivity? According to Kelly McGonigal, a health psychologist who made a TED talk in 2013, people who had experienced a lot of stress were 43% more likely to die from it. However, this only applied to those who also believed that stress was bad for them. And if there were any truth to this, believing stress is harmful alone. Would kill more Americans than skin cancer, homicide, and HIV/AIDS in 2012. Kelly also mentioned that in a study conducted at Harvard University, 
after participants were trained to believe that stress was nothing more than a mechanism in their bodies that helped them prepare for their performance, they were able to feel more relaxed and confident during their social stress test. How's that even possible? When we befriend stress, our blood vessels relax, resulting in a lower risk of high blood pressure. It means that it's healthier for our heart if we react positively towards stress. Oddly enough, during the effect of stress, a hormone called oxytocin is released to also help us open our hearts to friends and families, which in turn strengthens our relationships with them. As you can already tell, life is always full of surprises, and there will be ups and downs along the way. Thus, we should all embrace the inevitable stress and trust ourselves to handle it well in the face of new challenges. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi. My name is Dad to go. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Green is a combination of blue and yellow colors. It is an emotionally positive color. Green has a strong association with nature. So, it psychologically represents growth, health, refreshment and tranquility. It also universally signifies the action of going as in traffic light. The green color means going ahead or as green lights appear to notify that systems are turned on and working. Green reflects the personality of a kind, generous, caring and compassionate figure. Green color brings us the feeling of relaxation. Therefore, people who are going to appear on television shows usually sit in a green waiting room for calm. Starbucks not only uses green in its logo, but also uses the same color predominantly in its stores to promote relaxation. Also, green is believed to reduce stress and help heal, so those who work in a green environment suffer less from stomach aches. For readers, Researchers have found that green color helped to improve reading performance, including speed and comprehension. Placing a transparent green paper over reading material is a practical way that shows good results. Besides, green is also said to help decrease the irritation of eyes and make eye muscles relax to reduce eye strain. Nowadays, Green living is a trendy lifestyle because it not only helps to reduce impact on the environment, but also is good for our health. A green lifestyle means living in a way of conserving water and energy as well as protecting natural resources. It is the three R's lifestyle in which we are expected to reduce waste and carry out reuse and recycling programs. Also. Living green means that we implement healthy choices such as organic hometown foods, etc. 
the act of always consuming chemical-free products surely brings us a healthy body. Green living is not only a way of life, but also a state of mind. If each individual is aware of making greener choices in his day-to-day -day living, obviously, the future of our planet will be much brighter. Now, I'll show you some interesting expressions you can use with the word green. When you see someone who is recycling or planting a tree, you can motivate him by complimenting him like you are so green to praise him as a person who knows how to protect the environment. Moreover, if a group of people is doing activities such as voluntarily collecting trash or recycling things, you can say that that group of people is going green. And if you are good at gardening, you have a green thumb or green fingers. Guys, are you ready to be green? Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi. My name is That's the Go. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Emotional maturity is not something you can automatically acquire over time. And while it has nothing to do with your age, it requires you to be able to understand and manage your emotions. When you are emotionally mature, you're able to control the way you act and how you treat others, which is crucial when it comes to maintaining healthy relationships. So, here are the four telltale signs that show you are an emotionally mature person. Number one, you're aware of your own emotions. As an emotionally mature person, you know how you feel and why you feel it. You accept yourself for who you are and live a life without pretending to be someone else. You know how, when, and where to healthily express your feelings without trying to fight them. And because of that, you are confident, creative, and optimistic. You're not easily influenced because, first, you seek no validation from other people, and Second, you have learned the best way to protect your time and energy for something more important is to say no to people. Number two, you're not afraid to show your vulnerability. No one is perfect and everyone makes mistakes. So it is essential to recognize your flaws and use them as areas of improvement. But the question is, are you willing to ask for help when you need it? While many people think it is a sign of weakness, the ability to ask for help is actually an indication of strength and maturity. When you're emotionally mature, you let go of your ego, and that's good because you can take responsibility for your actions. While admitting to your mistakes, you're willing to ask someone to show you what it is that you're missing. 
This in turn helps you become a more open human being who can appreciate and respect other opinions without compromising your own. Number three, you're a good listener. Do people like to talk about their secrets and problems to you? If the answer is yes, then it is a sign that you are a good listener. They trust you to show how much you care without being judgmental or condescending. But why is it the case when you actively listen to their problems, they feel understood and supported? That's why when you put yourself in others' shoes, it not only helps you foster more intimate relationships with people, but also allows you to support them while further improving your interpersonal skills. Number four, you pause before you act. Taking actions will get you far in achieving your goals and dreams, but without proper thinking. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, and of course, they usually come with pain and agony. So, when you're facing an unfamiliar situation, do you take time to think it through before making a decision? If so, it's a clear sign of emotional maturity. Besides, it is helpful to recognize that not everything in life needs immediate responses, and though. It can be hard to pause and think. It is okay to give yourself some time and space before reacting to difficult situations. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Datsnego. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Why don't we have enough willpower to do certain things in our lives? In an experiment, Baumeister asked 67 participants to eat radishes while having to resist the temptation of eating chocolate cookies. Of course, no one was happy about it because they clearly showed interest in the cookies. Afterwards, they had to solve an impossible puzzle that would determine how persistent they were until the end. Not so surprisingly, they were less patient to complete the challenge than the other participants. Who were allowed to eat the cookies? You see, resisting temptation takes a lot of effort, and the idea behind this experiment was to show that when you use too much willpower on one thing, you'll feel tired and unwilling to take on another depleting task. This phenomenon is called ego depletion. It suggests that willpower is a limited resource 
that you have to expand wisely on things you find most important in your life. That's why, when you waste your willpower fuel on trivial decision making or temptation resistance, like choosing between watching Netflix and doing your homework, your willpower will be exhausted. So, what exactly do we need to do to preserve our willpower for when we need it later? No worries. I am going to help you understand more about willpower and ways you can use to break your bad habits. To start with, have you ever heard of the marshmallow experiment? It was conducted in the 1960s by a psychologist, Walter Mitchell. The test was quite simple. Mitchell asked. Four-year-old kids to choose between one immediate reward or two marshmallows, if they could wait for 15 minutes. Those who were able to delay their instant gratification showed to achieve higher success and better things later on in their lives. But. Why do you think some kids were more successful than others at waiting for the second reward? It turned out that all they did was to distract themselves. Some took a nap or covered their eyes. Others were singing or kicking the desk. So, don't find your temptation, and instead. Distract yourself from it, or better yet, remove it altogether. Take away the option to play video games when you need to do your homework. Turn off your phone or hide your console. Make it inconvenient to respond to your cravings. However, instead of totally treating willpower as a limited resource. It's also crucial to believe that willpower is a muscle that you can train over time. Why is it the case? Back in 2010, Veronica Job and her colleagues designed a series of experiments to test Stanford students' beliefs about willpower. After a depleting task, those who believed that willpower is limited. Actually, showed to have less self-control under depleted circumstances. Meanwhile, students who believed in the opposite performed better on standard concentration tests, ate less junk food, and experienced less procrastination than the limited resource believers. Given everything that we know so far about willpower. How do we break our bad habits? First, we need to understand what makes a habit. According to James Clear, it consists of four simple steps: cue, craving, response, and reward. The cue or the trigger is the first step in building a habit. Because of it, we then have the feeling of craving. Which motivates us to make a response, and if that response provides a reward, 
the satisfying feeling we get will be associated with the cue. This process is called the habit loop because it is exhausting to resist a temptation. The most effective way to break a habit is to make the cues of your bad habit obscured or invisible. So instead of trying your best to push your willpower, you should spend your energy optimizing your environment. Other ways you can eliminate a bad habit are to make the response difficult and the reward unsatisfying. For example, by replacing all unhealthy snacks in the fridge with other healthy alternatives, your craving will not be satisfied. Which, in turn, helps you slowly lose interest in eating junk food. With enough repetition, your bad habit will eventually be weakened and start to fall apart. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Datsnigo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Have you ever said things that you later regret, or have you ever embarrassed yourself in front of many people, even though you're completely sober? We've all been through that situation. Usually, it's a result of our saying things that first come to our mind. So, the older I get, the more I pay attention to my words. So I wouldn't end up in that situation. How about you? Would you think out loud, or do you think before you speak? Today, in this podcast, we will discuss this topic, and hopefully, you have more confidence to communicate with others and be who you are. People who are not afraid of speaking their mind have a strong personality. They never hesitate to ask people's blunt questions to get to the core of the problem, though. Their words might be harsh. They never intend to destroy others. Most of them are kittens on the inside. On the other hand, think to talk people are usually quiet, making them seem to be cold, heartless, and emotionless. In truth, it's because they prefer to keep their thoughts under wrap. Until they have something specific to say, it's funny to see two groups of people sitting or working together. The first group never shuts their mouth, and the second group does nothing but to rest their chins on their hands and remain silent. Unfortunately, formal meetings, classes, or informal lunch conversations seem to do very little for either group. People who like to talk rarely have enough time to talk. People who want to think rarely have enough time to think. Probably that's why they don't like each other. One group grow impatient when they have to work with people who take their time responding. They don't understand what's taking people that long to respond. Meanwhile, the other group assumes that people who speak their mind are aggressive. 
and should work with whoever matches the same energy. They are mentally and emotionally drained when being around with over-energetic people. The only solution for them to peacefully coexist is communication. The first group could introduce statements like, I'm just thinking out loud, and the other one could request more time to think with a question like, could you give me a minute to think through this? This way will help prevent misunderstanding and conflict between them. But what if you and your friend are from different groups? and you two know each other well but still can't avoid conflicts. Here are some tips to bring the relationship back on track. First, let you and your friend have space. It will help if you have some time alone to reflect, recover, and accept your mistakes. Then, communicate with each other. When the fight is truly over and things have calmed down, you can clarify why you behaved that way. Keep in mind that you shouldn't be defensive, otherwise another argument would occur. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dat Go. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. For some people, a mere feeling of embarrassment is enough to prevent them from taking action. They choose their pride and comfort over the possibility of achieving a much higher level of success. So, they let opportunity after opportunity slip away because they're too afraid to sacrifice for what they truly want in life. If you're familiar with the story of Neverland, you'd know that Peter Pan is a very magical boy who chooses to stay young forever. Metaphorically speaking, all children are magical, they can be anything they want to be, and given the fact that Peter Pan surrounded himself with some scary adult, he didn't want to give up his eternal life as a child to become someone like Captain Hook. But honestly, who would want to grow up to be a sad old pirate? Jordan Peterson, a Canadian clinical psychologist, explained it during his lecture. First of all, you've got a hook, second, you're a tyrant, and third, you're chased by the dragon of chaos with a clock in its stomach. That's what happens when you get older, time has already got a piece of you, and eventually it's going to eat you. That's terrifying not only for Peter Pan but also for the rest of us. Though, Wendy Darling used to feel the same way about getting older, she finally accepted her mortality to grow up and live the life she truly wanted. I understand it can be hard to accept life as it is sometimes, but no matter what you choose to do in life, bad things will always happen. So instead of letting it take you by surprise, Choose your sacrifice as you work towards achieving your goals. You see, as a kid, 
it's okay to be clueless because you can be anything you want. You are nothing but potential. But imagine you're in your thirties and still as clueless as you always were. It wouldn't look great for you at all. In fact, a lot of people are just like that too. They jump from one thing to another without giving it enough time to flourish. They're too impatient to become something great in life. That's why they don't believe enough in themselves. So they settle for less and give up way too early. Therefore, if you want to see meaningful results, you need to put a lot of time and effort into it. The same goes for anything from building a rock-hard body to growing a successful business. If you take a look at all high performers from around the world, notice that they don't hang out as much as we do. Their work is their obsession and enjoyment. So they're willing to work constantly every single day, as it is an integral part of who they are. You see, there is no such thing as work-life balance, as Jack Welch said in the Society for Human Resource Management's annual conference in 2009. There are work-life choices, and when you make them, they have consequences. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad to Go. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Does compatibility matter when it comes to love? Well, being in a relationship requires a lot of work and sacrifices from both parties. And just because you're deeply in love with each other, it doesn't mean you can solve every problem you have in your relationship. So. If you're not compatible with your partner, it's going to be much tougher for the two of you to get through difficult times together. So, how do you know if you're with the right person? Today, in this video, I'm going to show you the five signs that you might be incompatible with your partner. One, you're too different from one another. As the old saying goes, "Opposites attract." It stems from the idea that. When you date someone radically different than you, you do it because you get to learn a lot from that person. Though it might be the reason why many fall in love to begin with, it can also be a sign of incompatibility. You see, if your partner shares little to no similarity with you, the disagreement will become a constant problem for the two of you. Sadly, it doesn't matter how much fun and excitement you two had at the beginning. Unless you do something about it, those feelings will eventually fade away. Two, you're not willing to compromise. Even if you initially don't agree on the same things, it's still possible to make the appropriate compromise for the sake of your relationship. However, if it is one-sided, sooner or later, you inevitably run into problems that might jeopardize what you have with your partner. So, to make it work. 
the compromise has to be mutual. But here's the catch: if they ask you to change who you are solely for their want and desire, then it's not going to be effective or sustainable. The change has to be something you want for yourself, not just for them. Three, you find too much but have no resolution. Problems can be hard to avoid because even the strongest couples that I know fight over the tiniest things possible. So it's completely normal to disagree with your partner from time to time, especially when it's about something important to your relationship. But If the disagreements turn into constant fighting, and in the end there's no resolution, it's a sign that you two are not as compatible as you might think. Four, you avoid conflicts at all costs. Though conflict can be uncomfortable to deal with, there's nothing you can do to stop it from happening. And while it's not healthy to constantly fight with your partner, you shouldn't avoid having disagreements either. It's all about moderation. If you want your relationship to last longer and become healthier, you need to be willing to tell your partner your thoughts and feelings, despite some irritation or dissatisfaction from the other person. Five, you can't be yourself around your partner. In a healthy relationship, you should be able to express your true feelings without worrying too much about the consequences when being around your partner. You don't have to change who you are just to be with that person, unless it is something that you also want for yourself. So, if you have started to feel like you need to bend over backwards only to meet their expectations, then it's time to take a step back and evaluate the relationship with your partner. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Today, in this video, we are going to look at the question: What would happen if we start skipping breakfast? In many parts of the world, especially in America, about 97% of the population believe that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. However, There are only 44% of those who actually eat breakfast. What could be the reason why so many people tend to skip what is considered the most important meal of the day? Well, some people just don't feel like eating at all. An explanation for this is our bodies are not designed to consume food right after waking up. You see, our metabolism needs food to keep running. But after a long night of sleep, it gets confused and not fully awake until one or two hours later. So during these first few hours, you don't naturally get the signal from your brain that you are hungry. But the feeling of hunger varies from person to person. Some will get hungry right away, and others might want to eat four hours later after waking up. So the rule of thumb is to eat whenever you get hungry. And if you want to kickstart your metabolism early by eating breakfast, that is an option too. 
However, breakfast doesn't have to feel like a chore. It's because the saying "breakfast is the most important meal of the day" was actually a marketing slogan from 1917 made to sell more breakfast cereal. It worked, and our morning decisions have been influenced by the statement ever since. But does it imply that having breakfast is an important? Well, no. In one study, children who reported having breakfast every day performed better on their test than those who skipped it before going to school. In fact, children and adolescents should consume more food as it is essential for their development. Only when you have grown fully as an adult, you can now skip breakfast here and there to achieve some weight loss. But one research showed that people who skip breakfast were more likely to die young compared to those who ate breakfast every day. So what is the truth? Should we eat breakfast or not? It turns out that skipping meals is not the causation of death. In actuality, people who refrain from eating breakfast tend to possess bad habits like smoking. Drinking and eating unhealthy foods. Breakfast eaters, on the other hand, just happen to take better care of their health. Many cultures from around the world actually skip a meal as part of their holiday rituals. For example, every year Muslims spend one month of Ramadan fasting and reflecting on themselves, and this tradition has been around for more than 14 centuries. However, if you want to adopt fasting into your daily routine, you need to do more research before deciding how you want to skip the first meal of the day. It's because if you don't know what you are doing, not only may you feel tired in the morning, but you may also end up losing important nutrients that keep your body strong and healthy. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad's Nigo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Do fish need to drink water, considering that they are surrounded by water? Perhaps they need not drink water because their bodies have a special mechanism to help them absorb water, or maybe. They prefer boiled water since seawater or river water doesn't taste as good as it looks. Anyway, these are just my hypotheses. If you want to hear the real answer and other interesting facts about fish, don't go anywhere. This podcast will help you solve the question. Before getting right into the fish's drinking water. We should know a process called osmosis. During this process, water moves through a membrane, like skin, from areas of lower concentration to areas of higher concentration. If the bodies of the fish are saltier than the water they swim in, water flows into their bodies. But 
If the bodies of the fish are less salty than the water, fish will lose water through their skins. Since freshwater fish's bodies have a higher concentration of salt than river and lake, they need not drink, but they have to pee a lot. If they don't get rid of water, they will burst like a balloon, and their bodies would resemble ours after a huge party. Meanwhile, the bodies of a marine fish are not as salty as the seawater it swims in, so it constantly gets thirsty. That's why, unlike freshwater fish, seawater fish have to drink purposefully. But not every fish living in the sea have to drink a huge amount of seawater. Shark, whose blood is saltier than the sea. Have evolved a different system. Instead of directly drinking water, they only have to take in small amount of water through their gills. Another exception is salmon. Before heading to the ocean, salmon spend their early days living in the fresh water, as they reach the age where they have to start a new life in the sea. All of them are required to practice drinking water excessively, and reducing the amount of urine deliberately. Once they get used to it, they move to the sea. After a few years there, if the female fish bear babies, they have to return to the river to breed. Once again. They have to change the way they drink water and the way they get rid of water, or else the fish would die. All these complicated knowledge about fish leaves me thinking: mermaids might not exist, but the marine is full of mysteries. It makes sense because the fish are even older than mammals. While they have been on the Earth for more than 450 million years, mammals have only been on Earth for roughly 200 million years. There are many more interesting facts about fish. For example, catfish have 18,000 more taste buds than us. Goldfish could live up to 45 years. African lungfish are capable of living out of water for up to two years. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families, so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nguyen. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. A study was conducted at Princeton University in 2014, where two groups of students were told to take note in two different ways. 
The first group had to handwrite their note with pens and papers. Meanwhile, the second group was allowed to use devices like laptops and phones to record the lessons. After each class, the second group, of course, ended up taking more note than the group with pens and papers. However, at the end of the semester, those who handwrote their note outperformed the other group with twice the test score. At first, the researchers theorized the group that used the old school method with pens and papers were somehow prompted to study more at home. So they decided to conduct the study again and again. And whether the students were tested immediately after class or after a week later, the result remained the same. You see. The harder you try to learn something, the better you understand and remember that piece of information. And when you go the extra mile by putting pen to paper, you'll get a chance to take a better look at every single detail while spending more time pondering on each lesson. I understand that it can be hard to take things slowly because. For many people, it is indeed a very time-consuming process, and let's face it, our time is limited. There is no way of stopping us from getting older every day. On the other hand, you now have access to more information than ever before. You can quite literally learn anything, anywhere, and anytime with just a click of a button. Now that's when it hits you. There is just so much to learn, and yet so little time. So you cut corners and try to learn as fast as you can. However, you must understand there is no such thing as a free lunch, and everything you ever want in life all has a price. So, if you don't spend the time and effort to internalize the lesson. You're not going to remember any of it. Now, to make sure you get everything you need out of this video, here are two other ways that can help you remember what you just learned. Number one, visual memory. Context is everything. Without it, any given information can only provide forgettable meaning. So, to learn, let's say, a new word, you can give it a context by adding pictures. Emotions or stories that might help you visualize the word better. That's why the laziest form of acquiring a new language is to spend time on Netflix, watching the same things over and over again. Though it doesn't require much effort in this way of learning, you can already learn a lot from just trying to understand what the characters are saying. Now imagine what it would be like to put in extra effort, jotting down new vocabulary with a pen and paper, as you watch through a whole season of your favorite show. Number two, spaced repetition. You see, when it comes to memorization, repetition is the key element to learning anything. That's why it's hard to cram everything in one night before the exam. When there's no time for repetition, work involving higher mental functions such as analysis and synthesis 
needs to be spaced out to allow new neural connections to solidify. Pierce J. Howard, who wrote the book *The Owner's Manual for the Brain*, explains: New learning drives out old learning when insufficient time intervenes. So, if you want to make it stick better in your head, you need to space out your studying and have breaks between sections. Instead of trying to learn it all in one day, break it up into chunks and digest little by little, while putting in more effort every day to maximize your learning potential. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. As requested by some of my viewers, today in this video, I'm going to show you the technique that I use daily to learn vocabulary fast and effectively. But before jumping into that, let's talk about mindset. You have always been taught by your parents and society to think very carefully before deciding whether or not you are going to take action. But the truth is, sometimes you don't know what to do or where to start. So my advice to you is to just do it. When you're in doubt, test it out. There's no best way to learn anything. Some techniques might work for you, others will not. When you understand yourself and the science of language learning, you will be able to tailor the best learning method specifically for you. Now, if you want to know what I do every day to learn new vocabulary words, then this may be what you're looking for. So, my learning strategy is based on what is called spaced repetition. Basically, what it means is that you give yourself time to revisit the vocabulary words you learned a few days prior, instead of cramming every word in one day and expecting it to stay in your long-term memory. You repeat each word by getting back to it one or two days later. The way I am doing this is simply by reading daily news and articles that I care most about, using the eJoy extension in my Google Chrome. The extension is totally free, and you can use it to quickly look up words you find interesting without having to go anywhere for a dictionary. If you watch videos on YouTube or Netflix, all you need to do is mouse over a particular word, and then, depending on your settings, it will automatically show you its definition on the spot. For readers, once you find the word that you like, double-click on it, and voila, the definition will pop up on your screen in about one second. This way, you no longer have to switch between tabs on your internet browser every time for a dictionary. Now, what do you do when you see too many unfamiliar words in the content? The key is you shouldn't try to learn everything. Keep moving forward so you don't get bored in the process. Since your brain wants to learn what is deemed to be interesting or important, it will suck out all the fun of reading when you focus too much on the words and their definitions, and it's going to feel like a chore once your brain realizes what you're learning is boring, especially words that you may or may not see ever again. So, to make your brain think it's necessary to learn new vocabulary, you need to be exposed more often to the words. 
and by doing so, all you need to do is keep reading or watching the same type of content over and over. Inevitably, words that are commonly used in a particular situation will be deemed important enough for your brain to start absorbing. So there you have it, the ultimate technique for my day-to-day -day vocabulary learning. What about you? How do you learn new vocabulary words every day? Let me know in the comment section below. I hope that you find this video helpful. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Astrology is the study of how the position of stars and planets affects the life of people. But it shouldn't be confused with astronomy, which is the study of the universe, space, and celestial objects outside the Earth's atmosphere. Many people believe in astrology and use it to find comfort in themselves. But is astrology a real science? Believe it or not, astrologers used to be astronomers. They also observed the sky and collected data to predict the movements of celestial bodies. These ancient astronomers looked for signs of what was about to happen, as they believed celestial events were God's activity that influenced their lives. However, since no evidence showed that the position of the stars can somehow impact human affairs and personalities, this makes astrology a pseudoscience. And because the characteristics of zodiac signs are written based on the constellations at the time of our births, these astrology symbols are highly unreliable. But here is something interesting. According to a study from Samwise University in Budapest, our birth seasons, rather than the cosmic position, may actually be behind the difference in our personalities. For instance, babies born in the spring tend to be optimistic while those born in the summertime are a little moodier. Winter babies are more relaxed compared to other seasonal births, and autumn babies tend to experience less depression. That's not all. According to Dr. Russell Foster, a circadian scientist at the University of Oxford, your birth month can also influence your biology because of some seasonal changes in your mom's physiology. For example, Scottish babies born in the fall are 50% less likely to develop multiple sclerosis than spring babies. The explanation is that the mothers of those born before the summer didn't get enough vitamin D during their winter pregnancy. So, can we trust astrology? Well, it depends on how you think of it. Astrology is just another way for people to understand who they are what type of people they are compatible with, and how they deal with their personal issues. Astrology is not scientific, but it's not the reason why people fall in love with astrology. They love it because it is a social tool that better helps them understand and connect with other people. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. 
See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad's Nigo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Video games have slowly become an integral part of our culture, and though perceived as violent, toxic, and time-consuming by many people, they provide us places where we can connect and have fun with each other. However, it is essential to understand that too much of anything is never good. If you do nothing other than playing, then video games cannot be healthy for you. With that being said, are there any real benefits from regular gaming? If you are in love with video games and considering quitting under the influence of others, today is your lucky day. In this video, I am going to show you how video games can actually help you become smarter. For a while now, kids who play video games have been told by their parents that you're going to go blind if all you do is sit in front of the screen. And maybe for that particular reason, researchers from the University of Rochester decided to find out the truth behind that statement. In 2009, they compared the visual performance of two groups of players in their study. After nine weeks of gaming, those who played Call of Duty, a first-person shooter game, showed a 43% improvement in their vision, while those that played The Sims 2, a non-action game, stayed the same. And another worry parents often have about gaming is their kids being easily distracted and not listening in class. To test if it is true, Vikram Bajanki and other researchers conducted some experiments that involved two groups, action video game and non-video game players, performing multiple perceptual tasks. After the tests, the experienced gamers ended up outperforming the other group that wasn't really playing before the experiment. You see, video games not only provide a fun escape from reality, but also help us have a better vision and improve our ability to focus on what is important during those perceptual tasks. So, what are the applications of this finding? And how can it be used to treat children with dyslexia, commonly associated with trouble reading fluently, this neurodevelopmental disorder causes these children to make a lot of mistakes when reading, writing, and spelling. However, a study found that without involving any phonological or orthographic training, only playing action video games for 80 minutes per day could already improve the reading speed of children with dyslexia. Of course, it came with no cost in accuracy whatsoever, and Thanks to the action video games training, their attention abilities also show to improve over time. Now that you have learned the importance of gaming to young people and its potential in treating kids with learning disabilities, how are you going to use video games to your advantage? Of course, the benefits of gaming are only useful if you actually use them in real life. You see, 
playing video games can be extremely addictive and time-consuming, and too much of it can make you feel lazy and unmotivated to do anything else that is important. However, unlike other activities like smoking or drinking, unless you do it all the time, gaming can be physically harmless. It all really boils down to moderation. As mentioned in my last video about willpower, one way to build a habit is to make sure the reward is satisfying. So, if you consider playing video games a decent reward, then go ahead and use it to win at the game of life. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. In America, smoking is one of the leading causes of death, and quitting cigarettes can be challenging for a lot of people. That's because of addiction and the thought that after quitting smoking, it would take forever to see any positive changes in their bodies. But the truth is. You can already start seeing the benefit in as soon as 30 minutes after your last cigarette. When you smoke, the nicotine in cigarettes narrows your blood vessels, making you more prone to heart attacks and strokes. But after 20 minutes of quitting, your blood pressure and heart rate would start to get back to normal. Eight hours in, the levels of carbon monoxide in your bloodstream will have already dropped significantly, allowing room for more oxygen. That's a good thing because without carbon monoxide competing with oxygen in your blood, you will start noticing positive changes in your breathing. However, if you continue smoking, you will experience shortness of breath, and your red blood cells will increase in size, causing a rise in your blood pressure. That's why when you let your body start cleansing itself of carbon monoxide, your lungs will begin to heal, which helps you breathe a lot easier. By the one-day mark, you will start coughing, and that's okay. It's how your body gets rid of toxins in your lungs. At this point, nicotine levels in your bloodstream drop to a tiny amount, and the risk of heart attack begins to decrease. Forty-eight hours after your last cigarette, nicotine is now completely clear from your system. Your sense of smell and taste improves as the damaged nerve endings begin to regrow. Three days later. Nicotine withdrawal will start to kick in, and as your body is trying to readjust to the absence of nicotine, you will experience moodiness, anxiety, depression, along with other physical symptoms like severe headaches, nausea, and cravings. One to three months after quitting, the risk of developing cardiovascular diseases drops. It is due to many reasons. One, your circulation improves. Two. Your heart rate and blood pressure lower. Three, your lung capacity now gets better. In nine months, the lungs heal significantly. The hairline structures that push out dust and mucus inside the lungs, called cilia, also recover. By now, symptoms like coughing and shortness of breath are mostly gone. 
One year after quitting cigarettes, your risk of heart disease now decreases by almost 50%. Then, after 10 years of committing to a nicotine-free lifestyle, the chance of you dying from lung cancer is cut in half compared to those who continue smoking. And the list of benefits goes on. I know it might be hard to quit at first, but if you want to reverse the effect of smoking, it's all going to be worth it in the end. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi. My name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. A psychologist walked around a room while teaching stress management to a group of people. She picked up a glass of water and asked, "How much does this glass of water weigh?" Some answered, "Eight ounces, fifteen ounces, twenty ounces." With a smile on her face, she replied, "The absolute weight of this glass doesn't matter because, from my perspective, it depends on how long I hold it. If I hold it for just a minute, it doesn't feel heavy at all. If I keep at it for an hour, I will feel an ache in my arm. But if I try to hold it for an entire day, my arm will feel completely numb and paralyzed. See." The weight of the glass doesn't change, but the longer I hold it, the heavier it feels. Think about it. Your stresses and worries are like this glass of water. When you think about them sometimes, nothing happens. When you think about them a lot more, they'll start to hurt. But when you think about them all day long, you'll become paralyzed and unable to do anything. So remember to put the glass down. You see. The problem is not about how much stress and anxiety you get. It depends on what types of thoughts you choose to have, and how much time you spend thinking about them. If you always think you're not good enough, you develop low self-esteem and anxiety. And if you're obsessed with control and perfection, you'll be paralyzed by the fear of failure. The thing is. These thoughts won't just appear sometimes during the day, but they tend to haunt us hundreds of times without us even noticing. I understand how hard it is to just put the glass down and let go of your worries and stresses, but it is not that you can just learn how to do it in a few days. Before I knew what it meant to let go of something, my mental health suffered. It's all because I wasn't ready to give up my old ways and let go of my emotional baggage. So to quote unquote, put the glass down. Here are two practices that I know work for me on a daily basis. Number one, meditation. Studies show that meditation can reduce negative emotions like depression, stress, and anxiety. Not only that, it can also help people become more aware of their thoughts, feelings, and impulses. And workers who practiced mindfulness meditation within eight weeks showed to have better focus than their peers 
who didn't meditate on the contrary. So, how do we practice meditation exactly? There are many ways to do it, but fundamentally, what you need to do is relax, get comfortable, and start with a focus on your breathing. For starters, you only need to meditate for five minutes per day. Make it simple. It doesn't have to be perfect. Don't worry if you get distracted from time to time. But remember, whenever you lose your focus, just pull it back to your breathing. Number two, positive thinking. People often say just think positive, but what does that even mean? Does it mean that we need to ignore our negative thoughts and feelings? No. Bad emotions are usually signs that there are problems in your life. So, what do you think is the most logical thing to do? You guessed it. Find solutions instead of keeping too much negativity in your head. Try lessening it by dealing with one problem at a time. And when you take more of these positive actions, you'll find yourself spending less time on negative thinking. Hence, making room for more positive thoughts. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Datsgo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Do you compare yourself to others? If you do, maybe it's because they're your role models. They're fun and exciting. They're successful and inspiring, and that makes you want to be just like them. Or maybe it's because some people are just beautiful to look at. Whatever the reason is, at some point you probably thought that why everything in that person's life seems to be so perfect, while my life is a total mess. Well, it's not wrong to compare yourself to someone, but it could be a waste of time and energy if you overdo it. And of course, if you're not careful, your mental health will suffer as well. So, why do we compare ourselves to others after all? One of the main reasons why we compare in the first place is our fear of missing out. We're afraid of missing out on all the fun and excitement we could have when there's a party where everyone goes to. Or maybe during summer vacation, when we have to stay home and study for the next school year, we don't want to be outdated when it comes to things like fashion, food, technology, sports, memes, or the world's latest news. And according to B. Arthur, during her TED talk in 2015, we can't help. But compare ourselves to others, which in turn prevents us from enjoying the little things that make us happy. We get angry and upset when someone is better than us, seemingly doing the same things we do every day. And sadly, 
many of us become so confused and paralyzed under the influence of others. So, how do we stop comparing ourselves, or how do we at least do it more healthily? Some of the first things we should learn early in life is that nobody is perfect, and that bad things happen to everyone, even to the best of us. It's important to realize every single one of us has our own set of problems, although some problems do seem bigger than others, and that's okay. We all have and will experience more ups and downs in our lives, and as life goes on, we'll learn that making mistakes is inevitable. So, if you can't escape failure. What are you going to do about it? What are some of the problems in your life that need to be solved? As you can see, it's a waste of time to focus on other people's lives. Then, why not shift the focus to yourself instead of trying to keep up with people that you don't really like, especially on social media? You might think. Why do I have to focus on myself? Isn't it better to do what others do, so I don't have to think about it? Why struggle when I can just follow in the footsteps of someone successful? I understand this could be one of the reasons why you compare to begin with. But don't get me wrong. As long as your comparison habit doesn't generate envy towards others, it is completely fine. You're even encouraged to learn from other people so you can find the right direction in life. Now the question is, how do we compare while staying at peace with ourselves and others? We all have unpleasant feelings. However, we shouldn't ignore the pains because these emotions exist to tell us that something is wrong in our lives. And of course, there are many things in the world that we cannot change. But isn't it better now that you don't have to focus on things you can't control? This is where self-comparison comes into play. Like John Maxwell once said. The only one you should compare yourself to is you. Your mission is to become better today than you were yesterday. You do that by focusing on what you can do today to improve and grow. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day. While improving your English considerably, don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Which one came first, chicken or egg? The question has perplexed many people throughout history, but did you know that there is a real answer? 
if we can take the wording of the question literally, then it can be answered very quickly. Since egg-laying animals have been around long before the first chicken was born, the egg obviously came first. However, if we specifically focus on the chicken egg, it is now a little complicated. We all know that during reproduction, two organisms passed on their genetic information to their eggs, but each time an egg was laid, their offspring DNA became slightly mutated and different. Then over thousands of generations, these tiny changes add up, creating a whole new species. Throughout that evolutionary process, many new creatures were born, and one of them was called the proto-chicken, the ancestor of our chickens today. When it mated with other proto-chicken and laid proto-chicken eggs, the process continued. And after thousands of other small genetic mutations, the first chicken came to life. So, if we consider the egg must be a chicken egg in order for it to come first, then the chicken had to come before the egg, right? As much as we humans like to categorize animals into different groups and species, the difference between mutations in the DNA tends to be quite subtle. There's no single mutation that can create an entirely new species. So chances are, the proto-chicken eggs may not be distinguishable from a present-day chicken egg at all. But what is the definition of a chicken egg anyway? Must it be laid by a chicken? Or does it simply need to contain a chicken? Regardless of what it is that you want to believe, in the end, one thing we can surely agree on is that the first chicken definitely came from an egg. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Lunar New Year is the most important festival in countries like Vietnam and China. This holiday marks the first day of the year on the lunar calendar, which is the time it takes for the moon to complete its cycles. Rooted in today's traditions and customs, Lunar New Year is associated with good fortune, delicious food, and family gatherings. But it wasn't always like that, according to some Chinese legends, one of which is the story of Nian, the mythical creature that looks like a lion but had a pointy horn on his forehead. For most of the time, he lived at the bottom of the sea, but each night before the Lunar New Year, he emerged from the seawater, descending upon nearby villagers and eating livestock and children. Everyone was terrified by the monster and dreaded going outside at the end of each year. Until one year as the darkest night approached, an old traveler came to the village asking for food and shelter. While everyone was busy locking up their homes, an old lady was generous enough to give him some dumplings. The traveler was touched by her simple act of kindness, so he decided to help get rid of the Nian monster if she let him stay at her house for one night. Later, the terrifying monster arrived, expecting the village to be in complete silence like each year. Nian noticed something different. 
It heard loud noises and a bright light amidst the darkness. The monster was startled to realize that the house was all covered in red. Enraged by it, Nian attempted to enter the home of the old lady. Then the front door suddenly opened. The old traveler stepped out in a red gown holding firecrackers. He lit them up and started drumming as loud as he could. The Nian monster was terrorized, fled the village, and never came back that night. The next day, the villagers were surprised that nothing tragic had happened. They learned that the reason Nian didn't start a rampage was all because of the old traveler. So they asked him to share his secret. The traveler said that the monster was afraid of three things: the color red, loud noises, and bright light. The villagers followed his instructions, and since then, on every Lunar New Year's Eve, people would wear the color red, stay up all night, and dance with firecrackers to keep themselves safe from the Nian monster. What else do you want me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. If you like this video, don't forget to sub for more content every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. I wish you all the best of health, happiness, and prosperity in Lunar New Year 2021. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dantzio. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Have you ever wondered why is it so hard to change one's mind about something? If you usually think about this question, it's an indication you might care too much about the opinions of others, and maybe it's not just some opinions that you disagree with per se. But rather, it's what they think or say about you. The question is, why do we care so much about others' opinions of us? Unfortunately, many of us are pleasers, and we want people to like us. That's why, when we feel unheard or unappreciated, we tend to drive ourselves crazy by repeating what we have to say to gain the approval of others. So, how much does what other people think of you really affect your life? In this podcast, I will share with you the science behind it and how people's opinions and expectations shape who we are today. To start with, what is the Pygmalion effect? It is a phenomenon in which higher expectations lead to higher performance. How you think about someone impacts the way you treat that person. Which in turn influences how they think about themselves. This self-fulfilling prophecy is also named the Rosenthal effect, after an experiment conducted in 1963 by an American psychologist, Robert Rosenthal. In the experiment, he challenged the participants to train two groups of given lab rats to run through a maze. Rosenthal misinformed one group. That their rats were dumb, while he told the opposite to the second group. But little did they know, the rats were all the same. During the experiment, however, the smart rats performed relatively better than the dumb ones. It turns out that high expectations can also affect the rats' performance. In another experiment conducted at Oak School. 
Rosenthal tested students with an IQ test at the beginning of the school year, and since teachers were not familiar with the test, he was able to make them believe that certain pupils were academic bloomers. Consequently, high expectations led the teachers to provide more support, give better feedback, and have kinder gestures towards the students. In actuality, these kids were just randomly chosen and designated as academic bloomers. By the end of the school year, they were tested again and showed higher IQ gains on average compared to other regular students. You might be wondering, what if I have no support from anyone in my life, and? What should I do if nobody seems to have positive opinions of me? The truth is, you can't control what other people think or say about you, and no matter how amazing you might think you are, someone is going to treat you unfairly based on their perceptions of you. But don't you worry. Most of the time, people are too busy dealing with their own problems anyway. So. Why not just pay more attention to your life instead of their little opinions? We all have 24 hours per day, so let's spend it on things that truly matter to us. It can be anything from learning new things every single day, to spending quality time with your friends and family, to building your career and making a lot of money. And for those who want to do the latter. Start with setting high goals and expectations for yourself. Increase your chance of success by being around like-minded people. And if you want to be an effective leader or even a great follower, always remember, as a French mathematician, Blaise Pascal once said, "Treat a human being as they are, and they will remain the same." Treat them as what they can become, and they will become what they can become. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day, while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. When it comes to choosing a romantic partner, you always think that the decision is made all by your independent mind. But what if I tell you, by knowing whether or not someone is in a relationship, you might want to be with that person romantically. This phenomenon is actually called the wedding ring effect. It refers to the idea that men who are seen wearing a wedding ring. Appear to be more desirable. The reasoning is quite simple. By signaling his marital status, a man is broadcasting that he is good enough to be chosen as a husband, and that he can commit to a long-term relationship. 
that to many women is considered marriage material. This effect has been examined many times before, but the results are different from study to study. Some found that a man only appears to be more romantically desirable to women when they saw him with other attractive women. Others suggested that women would rather be in a relationship with a man who may or may not be taken than with someone who wears a wedding ring. That's not all. One research found that women actually showed more interest in a man who had previously been in a long-term relationship than someone who got out of one that only lasted for a couple of months. It shows that they find men with relationship experience far more attractive than men who have little to no experience. But as soon as they saw men with their romantic partners, the appeal disappeared. It seems that in general. Women only like the idea of starting a relationship with a man who has both the experience and the ability to stay committed, but not with someone who is married or romantically unavailable. So, does it mean that no one is going to steal your partner? Well, most likely, yes. You don't need to worry too much if someone is interfering in your relationship. Whom you should worry about instead is your partner. It is because if something unfortunate ever happened, you need to realize that a relationship takes two, and so does a breakup. A lot of time, the true homewrecker may actually be your partner, not the other person, and it might be the lack of affection and communication from your end that also contributes to their actions. So, what do you think? Is the other person at fault? Or is it your partner's responsibility to say no to that guy or girl? How are you going to deal with a potential homewrecker? Let me know in the comments below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. In the game of chess, for each move you make, you either get yourself closer or further from winning. Life is more or less the same way. If you consistently make the right decisions, it will bring you happiness and fulfillment. However, if you don't learn from your mistakes and keep making the wrong decisions, your life will take a turn for the worse, and you'll find yourself suffering from all the pain in the world. So, how do you know if you are doing the right thing? How do you know you are on the right path? In order to know if you are making the right decision, there are two things you need to do. One, you should ask yourself these questions: What is your destination? What do you want to accomplish? And who do you want yourself to become? You see, many people are actually not very clear about what it is that they really want in life, and yet they are asking if they are making the right decision. For a lot of people, their destination could be about money, fame, and prestige. But for others, it could also be about traveling, living a healthy lifestyle, or being a good family person. So. Once you have an idea of which path you like to be on, now the kind of question you need to be asking yourself is: 
Is my action or decision today going to get me closer to where I want to be? Is it going to expand my future and open up more possibilities in my life? If not, then the decision is wrong. No matter how easy or comfortable it might be, the second thing you need to consider is how far are you from that destination, and how fast do you want to get there? Is it still reasonable to keep making random decisions, or is it time to learn from someone who has already been successful? When you are clear about these questions, you will know whether you are on the right track. If not, you can adjust your actions. So you can be on the path that leads you to your destination. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi. My name is Dad Go. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. We all have heard this story before. There lived a hare and a tortoise in the forest. They decided to race to see who was faster. After the hare made fun of the tortoise for being slow. The race was started as expected, and the hare quickly left the tortoise far behind. Being halfway through the race, the hare was arrogant and thinking that his opponent was no match for him, so he decided to take a nap beside the road. Meanwhile, the slow tortoise was persistent and kept on moving forwards. When the hare woke up, he realized the tortoise was only a few steps away from winning. The hare tried to catch up with his slow rival, but it was too late. The tortoise had already crossed the finish line. What does this story tell us about the truth of our daily productivity? Some of us might like to think that we are the slow, persistent tortoise, but are we? As far as I am concerned, we are most likely to be the hare, fast and capable of winning. However, we often lack determination and humility within ourselves, and therefore. Without the right mindset, we're stuck with our daily procrastination. Most of us prefer to spend our time at home on Netflix, video games, and other non-productive tasks. But what things are considered to be productive? Well, if it's to learn something new or to improve your language acquisition, then maybe binge watching Netflix is not a bad idea at all. Since our motivation comes and goes so unexpectedly, it would be in our best interest to start improving every aspect of our lives today. So, what is it that we can do to kickstart ourselves back into action and stop being such a sloth? First of all, we must understand why we are so lazy to begin with. According to an evolutionary psychologist. Nando Pelusi, 
Our laziness is tightly linked to our ancestors, as he explains. When everything was unpredictable and scarce, it was important to save energy for later necessary activities. So that's why, when we feel scared or out of control, our laziness kicks in, and we crawl back into our comfortable shell and reserve energy. Another cause of laziness is a lack of motivation. We tend to have the motivation to do things that are interesting or important in our lives, but without any difficulty, we'll quickly find a task boring and unworthy of our time. So, to stay excited to do anything, we should make ourselves better every day by doing things we find challenging and enjoyable. Now. How do we maintain our motivation and do the same things daily without giving up halfway through, despite some internal factors mentioned earlier? Our motivation is a lot more dependent on the external world than we might think. It's hard to stay motivated by the same thing over a long period of time. That's why some people suffer from what is called the shiny object syndrome. Before they can get good at anything, they lose their interest and start jumping to the next thing. It is clear that to get meaningful result, we all need to be consistent and committed to one thing over time. So let's remind ourselves of the reason why we choose to do it in the first place. Always stay focused on our goals and do our very best to make positive choices every day, no matter how small or insignificant they might seem. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nigo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. After an exhausting day at work, you come home, brush your teeth, turn off the light, and become ready for bed. If you are anything like me, you find it hard to fall asleep as well. Maybe, like a few minutes ago, you thought you would collapse to the ground if you didn't go to bed. But now, for some damn reasons, you are still awake. And the clock keeps on ticking, so in desperation, you are here hoping to find how to fall asleep faster tonight. No worries, there is a technique that is used by the U.S. Navy. They claim that 96% of their pilots have successfully fallen asleep within two minutes after six weeks of practice. But before getting into it. I want you to do these five things first. Number one, be physically active. Exercise can improve the quality of your sleep by what is called the body heating effect. When exercising, you will experience an increase in body temperature, which then slowly decreases after the workout. 
promoting the feeling of sleepiness, exercise also triggers the production of serotonin in the brain, which is responsible for regulating mood, social behavior, memory, digestion, sleep, and other functions. Number two, expose yourself to less artificial light during bedtime. The reason for this is. When you are exposed to the wrong light at the wrong time, your circadian rhythms can be disrupted, and this can lead to wakefulness at night, which is the one thing you do not want at this very moment. So, to make sure you fall asleep at the right time, it is crucial to adjust your body's internal clock by exposing yourself to the sun while keeping your bedroom dark and quiet. Especially at night time. Number three, avoid taking caffeine before bed. Obviously, you see, there is not much to talk about here. Caffeine is a stimulant that can be found mostly in tea, coffee, energy drinks, and chocolate. It is the substance that can disrupt your sleep patterns and cause you to stay awake for a very long time. So again, do not consume caffeine before bed. Number four, keep your body temperature cool at night. You see, our body temperature tends to drop one to two degrees while we are sleeping. So, when you replicate that temperature change in your body by perhaps taking a hot shower, it will send a signal to your brain that tells you to go to bed. Another way of tricking your body to fall asleep faster is to sleep in a colder environment. However, If you cannot afford to live in daylight or pay for the electricity, then oh well. Number five, relax before bed. There are multiple ways you can take your mind off things that keep you up at night. You can practice mindfulness meditation, listen to relaxing music, or read a physical book. Whatever it might be, you should find what works best for you. Now that you have learned how to optimize your experience of falling asleep, and for some mysterious reasons you still cannot doze off tonight, then here is another technique that is created and used by the U.S. Navy. As mentioned earlier in this video, it is supposed to help pilots fall asleep while in a sitting position in at fast as two minutes, though. It can take six weeks of practice. The success rate is as high as 96%. So now here's how you do it: relax your whole body, starting with all the muscles in your face. Then drop your shoulders as low as possible, followed by your upper and lower arm, loosening them one at a time. Now breathe in, breathe out slowly and deeply. Release any tension in your legs. Starting from your thighs to the tips of your toes, and clear your mind by imagining a relaxing scene where you lie on a serene beach with nothing but a clear sky above you. With all these done properly, you should be able to fall asleep in less than two minutes. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day, while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. 
share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad's to go. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. There is an old saying that you might have heard of before: "Abs are made in the kitchen." This expression comes from the fact that no matter how much you train your abdominal muscles, they won't be able to show if you have too much fat in your stomach. That's why most people believe in that saying and want to focus solely on the diet part of the equation. But is it really the case, or is it more like abs are built in the gym but revealed in the kitchen? Well, whatever it might be, in this video I am going to give you a simple guide to getting that chiseled six-pack that you want for the summer. Now let's tackle the first question: What is the right way to build your muscle? There are a few things you need to know before trying to train your abs. Number one: High-intensity strength workout. Why is it so important? By increasing the intensity every time you get stronger, your body has a reason to hold on to the previously built muscle while continuing to grow it. So, as you challenge yourself to the limit, trying to avoid doing easy crunches because it only hinders your muscles from growing stronger. Your goal is to maintain the strength by keeping the intensity the same as it was, so that you don't lose your progress. Number two, split system training. I notice the most common excuse people have for not exercising is that they don't have time for it. And yes, we all have priorities in our lives. However. If getting a six-pack is what you really want to do, you should make time for it. And if you can only spend one hour each day on exercise, then split system training is something you might want to consider doing. Since you don't have the time for a full-body workout, split training allows you to target your abs muscles. More intensively, while giving you 48 hours of recovery time, it's crucial because it gives your body an adequate amount of time to repair its damaged muscle tissue. Number three, calorie deficit. Now that you have learned how to build good muscle, what should you do to get rid of the layer of fat that is covering your hard-earned abs? Well, there are many ways to do it, but fundamentally, you need to create a calorie deficit to achieve weight loss. And the way to do it is to make sure you consume fewer calories than you burn, or burn more calories than you consume. Though it might cause you to feel a little hungry. It should not be a problem if you already have a balanced diet. Number four, nutrition. You see, 
To lose weight safely and healthily, it's important to get the proper nutrition from your diet, because without it, your body will not get enough fiber, vitamins, and minerals to stay healthy. So, it's best to avoid highly processed junk foods while aiming for more whole food choices like fruits, vegetables, nuts, eggs, poultry, and meat. When you're in a calorie deficit, it's no doubt that you can lose some muscle in the process of trying to get leaner. Therefore, to keep your body from eating up your muscle, you need to include a lot of protein in your diet. Why? It's because protein is arguably the most important nutrient that not only helps build your muscle but also gives you a fuller stomach. This, in turn, will prompt you to eat less while still maintaining your muscle. Number five, bonus tips. If you want to see your six-pack early, you can add intermittent fasting to speed up the weight loss process. However, if you're not fond of the idea of starving yourself for 16 hours every single day, then cardio could very well be a great alternative for you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, welcome back to the Dead Nor podcast. When I first entered the workforce, taking criticisms was one of the toughest things in my life. It used to hurt me like a sharp knife into my heart, taking me days to recover from being emotionally drained. But now I get so familiar with it that I no more feel down or shame. I'm no more depressed or discouraged, even when people insult or humiliate me as though I was deaf. But it would be a blatant lie to say that I feel nothing when receiving feedback that helps me improve. It's not comfortable to take that kind of criticism, because no one in this world like admitting to our mistakes. I guess from what I'm saying, you might have a vague idea that there are two separate criticisms. The first one is destructive criticism, and the second one, constructive criticism. Destructive criticisms belittle us, while constructive ones help us grow and become better versions of ourselves. So, if you are struggling to handle any of them, don't worry. Today, I will share with you the secrets of taking criticism like a champion. We learn nothing from destructive criticism. It usually starts with a qualifier "always." As soon as I hear "you always," I can be almost certain it's not going to be followed by anything helpful. But before getting irritated, we should be thankful to people making those comments. They prove that we are already good and don't really require further input. These pitiful human beings throw insults at us because they are insecure about themselves. They attack us to make them feel superior. They mistreat us to convince themselves that others also have defects and are worse than them. For these reasons, there's no point in fighting them back. 
Instead, we should ignore them and concentrate on our work. As I said, it's tougher to deal with constructive criticism. It doesn't mean to cause us to lose face, inner dignity, or self-respect. But we usually think that people making these comments want to embarrass us, so we usually raise our voice to them. In truth, the purpose of criticism is to give us details to improve. So, to deal with constructive criticism, first thing first, we should stop our actions, keep our face, our voice, our body language neutral. Don't growl, don't burst into tears, don't slap them in the face. Otherwise, we ourselves could destroy our reputation in the blink of an eye. Then, take a few deep breaths. It will buy us a little time to compose ourselves, even if we have to sit in awkward silence for a few seconds. If you disagree with them, keep in mind that constructive criticism is designed to help us. So. Request additional information or more concrete advice with inquisitive language and tone. Most importantly, express gratitude for people that give you feedback, even if it's not all rosy, because they spend time listening and helping us improve. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you did learn something new today. Our goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi guys, how's it going? It's Dad Nago here. It has been quite a long time since I made a video talking to you guys like this. I was swamped and stressed out with tons of work these last couple weeks. I know lots of y'all out there were waiting for these videos, hopefully. So here I am. Today I'm going to talk about the benefits of reading, my favorite activity. I always try to maintain a good reading habit, although, to be honest, sometimes it's hard to read when I have lots of other works to take care of. Fortunately. You don't have to spend all of your time reading to gain the benefits of the act. Consistently reading for around 30 minutes every day would totally improve the quality of your life tremendously. Reading is an inexpensive way to get educated. Classes are pricey, no matter which schools you decide to attend. If you find a topic that you would like to learn more about. There is a high probability that there are books on that topic available that can help. Please don't forget to take advantage of your hometown's library. There are usually lots of books of a wide variety for you to explore at no cost. It's widely accepted that reading makes you smarter, just like your body. Your brain requires exercise to keep it strong and healthy. Researchers have found that reading helps to enhance connectivity in their brains. Your analytical thinking is significantly stimulated from reading. Reading novels, for example, 
enables you to detect patterns and solve problems as if you were living in the character's shoes. Reading is essentially a workout for your brain. Reading helps reduce stress in our hectic lives. Losing yourself in a good novel is an excellent way to relax. The distraction into the literary world allows you to put your mind and body at ease. Reading can ease tension in your muscles and heart, while letting your brain wander to new ideas and live somewhere imaginarily far away from home. A 2009 study by the University of Sussex found that reading for just six minutes. Can reduce stress levels by up to 68%. By reading, you are training your body to avoid distraction. The ability to focus is undoubtedly vital in the world where our attention is often drawn in a million different directions at once. Reading a book, unlike skimming Facebook, forces you to focus. Unless you concentrate, you won't follow what you're reading. This ability can help when performing other tasks that require concentration. Therefore, making time to read 15 to 20 minutes every day can ultimately help you to be more productive. Reading helps you become more empathetic. Studies have found that reading fiction helps readers understand what others are thinking by reading people's emotions. Reading about the lives of people who live in different circumstances can make it easier for you to understand those who are different from you. Books open up the world for us by reading. We can get out of our comfortable environments and understand better the realities of others out there. The world, of course, would become much more peaceful when we all can understand deeply one another. So there you have it, guys. Try opening a book the next time you feel the urge to immediately show the entire world. What you are eating at the very moment. It should be apparent to you now that reading is beneficial in many ways. The best thing about reading is that the activity is actually fun and relaxing to do. You can easily escape the harsh and cruel world around you. That, at times, seems to be inescapable and out of hand. If you're already a voracious reader, please share your reasons to read books in the comment section below. I'm sure lots of the audience would love to learn from your reading experience. So that's it for this video, guys. Don't forget to sub to get more useful videos every week. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi. My name is Datsnego. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Coronavirus, a virus that originated in Wuhan, China, 
has spreaded at a brisk pace to nearly 30 countries, killing more than 2,000 people. Schools and universities have been shut down for weeks to keep students safe, but it's just a temporary measure. If you want to keep you and your family survive the epidemic, it's essential to wear face masks, put on warm clothes, and more importantly, consume vitamin C. Vitamin C is the best weapon we could rely on these days. Not only does it boost our immune system, but it also has lots of other benefits, which I will share with you right away. As I said, vitamin C is an essential nutrient that can boost our immune system. It helps encourage the production of white blood cells. For those who are still confused about white blood cells, they serve as frontline warriors that protect us from foreign invaders. For example, when viruses or bacteria attack you, leaving you with such symptoms like sneezing, coughing, and runny nose, white blood cells will flow through your bloodstream to battle with all of them and keep you healthy. Another cool thing about vitamin C is that it can block tumor growth for certain types of cancer. Hearing its benefits, you might want to grab your orange juice or squeeze your lemon into hot water. But make sure you keep in mind that oranges and lemons are not the only fruit that allow us to reap the benefits of vitamin C internally. We could get it through kiwi, mango, pineapple, or we could get it through vegetables like broccoli, kale, cauliflower, cabbage, and tomato. So, I guess now you know what you should do when you're sick. Vitamin C is not only famous in fighting against diseases, but it is also well known for taking the beauty world by storm with serums and beauty products like facial cleansers and eye creams. No one in this world is more trusted than our friend vitamin C in tackling aging and melanin production. It improves the texture, evens out skin tone and enhances skin radiance. With vitamin C, we no longer fear that our skins would have wrinkles, sagginess or brown spots. What I like the most about vitamin C is that it is really effective in kick-starting our brain in the morning. Vitamin C produces the neurotransmitter norepinephrine. Norepinephrine could erase our sleepiness, help us focus on performing tasks, and increase our memory storages. If you wake up tired or feel tired in the afternoon, or get tired the whole week for no reason, vitamin C will shock you awake instantly. If you fall asleep in the middle of your work, or you can't keep your eyes open in a meeting, 
a glass of lemonade or orange juice will wake you up immediately. Vitamin C is no less effective than caffeine. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Learning accurate pronunciation can be a challenge to a lot of people. It is undoubtedly one of the most important parts of language learning. The way you sound can influence how much people can understand your speaking. And without the correct pronunciation, no one can tell if you actually know the English language. So, if you want to improve your speech, there are four habits you need to avoid. Habit number one: you don't listen enough. When your brain is not accustomed to the sound of native speakers, it is hard for you to hear what they are saying. And as a beginner, you may find listening to the English language a little daunting. But before you shy away from it, know that it is okay to listen to something you cannot completely understand. It is because when you immerse yourself in English long enough, you will start to recognize the sounds that you once found difficult to hear. Habit number two: you only focus on reading and writing, or only listening but rarely speaking. Pronunciation is just like sport; it is a physical skill, not a mental one. Sure, you can spend all day reading and mastering your writing, and you can watch as many English-speaking movies as you want. But at the end of the day, when it comes to your pronunciation, it's not going to mean anything if you don't start speaking. And don't worry about whether or not you pronounce things correctly, because you, as a beginner, are likely to make mistakes anyway. So learn from your blunders and continue on to your next challenge. Habit number three. You don't practice with good language partners. Having a language partner can be a double-edged sword. If you pair with a good one, they'll give you valuable feedback without making you feel judged or discouraged. But if you befriend a toxic language partner, they'll make you feel bad for little mistakes that probably mean nothing. Then you get nervous and stressed out because what you say is not perfect. So you stop challenging yourself to avoid as many mistakes as possible. And that lack of trying, unfortunately, is the formula for failure. If you try to get good at pronunciation, you need to find a better partner who cares and truly wants to help you with your speaking. Habit number four: you come up with your own pronunciation instead of learning the correct one. The reason why this habit is so bad is that it may lead to a lot of misunderstandings, and since it takes a lot of effort to understand what you mean. Native speakers will tend to avoid talking with you. Of course, no matter how confusing you might sound, there are going to be some people who are kind enough to listen to what you have to say. But what are the odds of that really happening? To make the conversations as painless as possible for both you and your language partner, you need to learn the habit of always saying the correct pronunciation. 
and there are two ways you can achieve this: with the help of the International Phonetic Alphabet or IPA, you can learn correct pronunciation before you even hear how the words actually sound. Or you can do shadowing, a well-known technique that many people have used to improve their speaking. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. You have heard the old saying, "No pain, no gain." But how true is it? Pain helps us know when something is too hard or too cold. It stops us from repeatedly making the same painful mistakes. And the ability to feel pain saves our lives countless times without us even noticing. However, many of us want to live in a world without pain because we think it would allow us to do so many incredible things. But could we? A life without the fear of getting hurt might sound like a great idea. But trust me, as much as it might make you feel like a superhero, living a pain-free life would cause you more trouble than you ever thought it would. For a few people, this is not a fun hypothetical scenario that one can come up with during a conversation. It is actually something those with a genetic disorder, known as congenital insensitivity to pain or CIP, have to experience daily. It might seem straight out of a comic book, but people affected by CIP cannot feel pain or extreme temperature. That is unfortunate because if someone with CIP For example, sprains their ankle while playing soccer. They would continue to walk on their feet as if nothing has ever happened, since there's no signal transmitted to their brain that tells them about the injury. They can't feel anything different after the accident, and because of this, the sprain gets worse without them even noticing. However, a person without the disorder would definitely feel the pain, thus trying to alleviate it by limping and then going to the doctor. Even though those living with CIP might not be able to feel pain, it doesn't mean that they can cheat their way out of death. One study shows that since people with CIP often don't realize they have injuries, infections, or symptoms of illness, their life expectancy tends to be a lot shorter than the rest. As you can see, pain is necessary for our survival. From an evolutionary standpoint, it helps us react quickly. To the things that threaten to harm us, without pain, you may feel invincible. But being brave alone will never be enough for you to become a superhero. So the next time you get hurt, remember to silently thank your body for each time it protects you from the dangerous world around. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, 
My name is Dan Ngo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. It all started about four thousand years ago when cocoa was found and mainly domesticated in Mesoamerica. The earliest records suggest that the ancient Olmecs and Mayans were the first to take cocoa as medicine and use it in their food and drink. They ground cocoa beans into powder and mixed them with honey and chili peppers to make it sweet and spicy. Instead of a relaxing hot chocolate that we like to imagine having in cold winter, the beverage was strong and bitter. When the Aztecs came and resided in Mexico and Central America, they also fell in love with the heavenly fruit cocoa. It was so good that they came to believe that it was a gift from the god. Not only did they use cocoa beans in rituals and as a reward for their soldiers, but they also consumed it as an aphrodisiac and treated it like a valuable currency. In 1519, Spanish explorers from Europe learned about chocolate for the first time after arriving in Central America. They loved the taste so much that they brought cocoa beans back to their home country. Not long after, the cocoa drink became more and more popular throughout Spain. Later, other European countries like Italy and France also had their first chocolate encounter when exploring Central America. And the same way the Spanish learned about chocolate, they also returned and shared it across Europe. In 1828, no longer was cocoa made only into bitter, spicy drink, but it now can be enjoyed in the solid form that we all know today. Thanks to Coenred Johannes van Houten for his extraction technique, cocoa's natural fat can now be separated from roasted cocoa beans. It left the powder that could be used to make hot chocolate, or remixed with the fat to form solid chocolate bars. Cocoa grew even further in popularity when Daniel Peter, a Swiss chocolatier, invented milk chocolate by adding milk powder to cocoa. But as chocolate got more and more popular. The demand for it also rose, since it required a lot to farm and produce cocoa beans. Plantations and imported slave labor were largely involved to meet the high demand. For this reason, many chocolate companies had to make a promise to prevent child labor when partnering with cocoa suppliers in African countries. But despite their constant efforts, nothing works because of poverty. So, what else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi. My name is Dad Ngo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Today we are looking at the question: What really causes ulcers? In America, peptic ulcer disease affects more than four million people each year. Until the 1980s, it was still believed that the primary causes were stress, spicy food, or excessive stomach acid. And people who suffered from ulcers had to go through unnecessary surgery. Indeed, stress and a spicy diet may aggravate the symptoms of ulcers, but these factors alone are not capable of eroding the lining of our stomachs.
It is absurd that without knowing the actual cause of ulcers, someone would come up with irreversible solutions such as surgery. Luckily, thanks to an Australian physician, Barry Marshall, we now know that losing parts of our stomachs is no longer required in the treatment of ulcers. In 1981, Marshall started working with Robin Warren, who discovered that stomach ulcers were actually caused by a type of bacteria called H. pylori. These bacteria disrupt the mucus lining that protects the tissue on the inside of the stomach. As it happens, certain enzymes and toxins get released that damage the stomach cells, creating small sores. That will later develop into ulcers or stomach cancer. Knowing how harmful these bacteria could be, Marshall and Warren were determined to find a better cure that did not involve surgery. After running tests on dozens of ulcer patients, they realized that the bacteria H. pylori could easily be killed by antibiotics. When told about their remarkable discovery, other physicians dismissed it. And held onto the belief that ulcers were the result of stress, spicy food, and excessive stomach acid. To prove his point, Barry Marshall made the ultimate sacrifice by drinking a broth full of H. pylori. Days later, after he developed symptoms of ulcers, Marshall took a biopsy from his gut and showed the evidence to a scientific community. It was clear that the same bacteria H. pylori. Was the cause of stomach ulcers. For this finding, Marshall and his partner Robin Warren were awarded a Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 2005. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, welcome back to the Dead Nor Podcast, the franchise Toy Story, including four films: Toy Story. Toy Story 2, Toy Story 3, and Toy Story 4 has made this huge reputation that I believe no one is unfamiliar with it. Today, I want to focus on discussing the meaningful lessons of the newest film in the franchise, Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4 is a 2019 American computer animated comedy film produced by Pixar Animation Studios for Walt Disney Pictures. Toy Story 4 and all the other films in the franchise Toy Story did emphasize the especially important role of toys in children's lives. Toys are best friends of all kids that play main parts in every wonderfully imaginative story they weave. Toys stay there together with kids, building off their world feel and experiencing a carefree and full of fantastic adventures childhood. Do you still remember your favorite toys? When you were a child, a meaningful lesson that not only Toy Story 4 but also the other films in the franchise brought to audiences is a friendship. Why Buzz Lightyear, a toy space ranger superhero, was able to daringly overcome so many obstacles to seek for Woody? How can Woody successfully rescue Forky to safely come back? That's because of friendship. 
Buzz, Bo Peep, Woody, and all the other Benny's toys are great examples of how to be good friends. They always do their best for each other and help friends with all their capability to deal with difficulties. I'm not sure if you and your peers will always be side by side on your long life road ahead, but I'm confident that until now, you and they have experienced a lot of happiness and sadness in life, and have shared every moment, every smiles and tear with each other. Who are they? The ones that are crazy now and then, but are your best friends forever? Now, I would like to discuss a lesson that differentiates Toy Story 4 from the other films in the Toy Story franchise. That is the lesson about self-worth. Woody in Toy Story 4 was no longer the most favorite toy, but for Bo Peep, he was the one that she loved. Bo loved Woody because of his loyalty, boldness, and genuineness. Gabby, a talking doll, who was rejected by her ideal owner, no longer believed in her values. Gabby thought that she was just an antique toy that no kids needed. However, at the moment when a child who also got lost embraced Gabby, she regained her confidence in her worth. Forky, a toy made from rubbish, always considered that he belonged to little bins. Then one day, Forky finally realized his values when hearing Woody convinced that he was not trash, but Benny's motivation and belief that helped her adapt to kindergarten's environment in her very first days there. So, what can we learn from Woody, Gabby, and Forky? That is the lesson of never suspecting your self-worth, because although under some people's eyes you are useless and even trash. There's always a person that to them you are the most valuable gift. One more specific point in Toy Story 4 is that there were no villains in the film. Gabby and the dummies seemed to be bad guys, but they were not. The dummies had terrified faces. However, they didn't hurt anyone. In the podcast of Beauty and the Beast, I learned from the Beast that we should not judge anyone by their looks. However, I kept assuming that the dummies were villains because of their ugly faces. Until the end of the movie, did I realize they were not? It is always easier said than done. Also, Gabby was not evil. She just wanted to be loved by kids, to help them with their troubles, and to see them growing up. It is not guilty if we are long for being loved. But instead of trying to win someone over in a dictatorial way, we should open our hearts to show and receive empathy. As you can see, Gabby and Woody seemed to be enemies at the beginning, but finally they turned out to be friends, for they already felt empathy with each other. The world nowadays has already been full of hardships, so all of us need to give love and happiness to each other every time it is possible. A small but significant detail at the end of the film is Buzzwords. When Woody decided to stay at the amusement park instead of coming back to Bonnie's home, Rex, a toy dinosaur, asked, "Is he a lost toy?" And Buzz answered, "He will never get lost anymore." Woody will never be a lost toy again, because from that day on, he was the owner of his life, and we will never be disoriented when we can take control of our destiny. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you did learn something new today. 
Our goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day, while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, welcome back to the Dead Nor podcast. Beating cancers has been a Herculean challenge for society these days. One in three people would get cancers at some point and lose their lives to the killer diseases. Although cancer survival has enormously improved thanks to the progress in prevention and detection, researchers still haven't found a way to cure cancers yet. Probably, right now, you are panicking after hearing this, fearing that you could end up the next victim of the diseases. But don't worry. Today, I'll show you how to better prepare for cancers. Cancers are complex diseases, and they are really good at hiding from the immune system. It's hard to detect and treat the diseases at an early stage. It is only until the cancer spread through the whole body that we notice there's something wrong with our bodies. Unfortunately, it is too late. When patients are at the final stage. No method can prevent or stop cancers in tracts. They spread from the place they originated to another. They continue rapidly dividing and multiplying, and no matter what we do to treat them, they won't disappear. Older people are more likely to get the disease. As time passes, the risk of getting cancers increases because we accumulate more of these faults in our genes. According to Professor Peter at Queen Mary University, London, more than 60% of all cases diagnosed in people aged over 65, if people live long enough, most will get cancer at some point. Young people can get diseases due to factors involving genetic, environmental, or constitutional characteristics of the individual. People who smoke, have a high-fat diet, and work with toxic chemicals. Are an example of lifestyle choices that may be risk factors for some adult cancers. If you are young and you want to reduce the risk of developing diseases, start building a good habit from now on. It will help if you avoid tobacco in all its forms, including exposure to secondhand smoke. Don't forget to exercise, sleep eight hours a day, eat fruits and vegetables. These habits will improve your health. Helping you prevent the disease. If you are diagnosed with cancer, don't panic. The survival rate for cancer has increased recently. You need to find a partner first. It's hard to fight the disease alone. You will need a spouse, a friend, or a family member to talk openly about your problems. Then ask them to help you with your treatment. What we eat plays an essential role in supporting us to fight back the disease. Tea extract. Broccoli and kale are proved to contain a compound that helps suppress tumor growth. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you did learn something new today. Our goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Das Nigo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Doing anything for the first time is pretty scary.
from riding a bike to holding a baby. Any brand new experience can make us nervous and freak us out. The only way for us to lessen our fear is to know how to do it before actually doing it. The fear that I would like to introduce to you in this podcast is aviophobia, a fear of flying. Of course, I wouldn't babble on the definition of flying, but rather how to overcome the fear of flying. You might think, "Well, that's not me. I'm not afraid of flying." But there are some situations where our anxiety can go up. So today, I would like to share with you how to conquer that fear. If it's your first time flying experience, there are some basic things you should keep in mind. Buying online checks could help you save a lot of time. Since you don't have to queue up at the airline's desks, make sure you know all of your departure country's rules on things like carrying liquids, medication, shop items, and electrical items. Anyway, you should plan everything in advance so. You wouldn't end up getting stuck at the airport if you have motion sicknesses like seasickness, train sickness, or car sickness. Chances are, you are likely to have air sickness. The symptoms of air sickness are cold sweat, pale skin, headaches, and nausea. To avoid such symptoms. You shouldn't read newspapers and magazines when flying. Reading is not going to improve your situation at all. When selecting seats, you should choose the ones closer to the front or on the plane wings, which are a little more stable than others. Just like on a bus, the further back you go. The bumpier it is, you will dehydrate a lot after a long flight. So, when you get thirsty, you need to drink water. In fact, you need to drink more than you would do while being on the ground. Before entering a plane, you should eat a light meal and avoid salty food. Overeating could upset your stomach. And salty food will make your body lose water. You could bring some light snacks, such as dried fruit, nuts, crackers, in case you get hungry between meals. Also, wearing comfy clothes could make you more comfortable during long flights. In such unplanned emergencies, like catastrophic weather, terrorist attacks, or The pilots falling ill. The first thing you should keep in mind is that you have to stay calm. Then you should remember the exit locations. More importantly, no matter what you're doing, 
you must take off your headphones, because if you don't take off your headphones, it's hard for you to pay attention to the instructions and what's happening around you. Finally, you should watch videos showing how your oxygen mask works and why it matters, so you could use it when there are emergencies. Oxygen masks. Would help you breathe more efficiently when the air is thinner, or when there's a sudden loss in pressure. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day, while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub. To get more awesome videos every week, share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Let's talk about dolphin. Hi, my name is Dad Snigo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Every year, Japan starts a controversial dolphin hunting. Hundreds of dolphins get trapped by nets before being slaughtered with knives. This practice has provoked a storm of protest among animal rights activists and the young generation. Dolphins are the cutest animals on the planet, and they have a society like us humans. How come Japanese people kill dolphins? Perhaps they kill such adorable animals because they know little about them. Just like how we usually hate a person we have just met. Maybe the Japanese hate dolphins because they don't understand them. But if they know things I will share with you in this podcast, maybe they have to think again. The ancestors of dolphins are land animals. They lived about 50 million years ago and looked like wolves. When they were hunted to the shallow water, they adapted to life by changing their appearance. Their forelegs became flippers. The hind legs disappeared entirely, and the fluke arrived. Fur disappeared, and their nostrils moved to the top of the head. Dolphins have always been famous for being smart. Unlike other mammals, their brain surface isn't smooth. Their brains have even more folds than us. Wait, does that mean dolphins are smarter than us? Probably not. The human brain's tissue is almost twice as thick as that. In the dolphin's brain, dolphin circuses are where you could understand what I'm trying to say. Dolphins are really smart. They are really good at learning. They could jump through a hoop only by looking at the signal. They could differentiate between the familiar whistles and unfamiliar ones, and they could understand the commands that tell them to find specific objects on the ocean floor. It's interesting that when dolphins sleep. Only one side of their brain sleep at a time. So if you see any dolphin sleeping with one eye open and the other eye closed, they are resting. This habit allows them to be conscious to breathe 
and watch for threats. Each part of their brain takes a turn to get some shut-eye. When the left side of the brain rests, the right eye of the dolphin is closed. When the right side of the brain rests, the left eye of the dolphin is closed. Dolphins not only look cute, but they also have sweet personalities. They love their pot family. The image of dolphins caring for the sick and the elderly as well as the injured has always been on the news. They are incredibly playful and curious. They love playing with seaweed and have also been known to play with other animals such as dogs. Though dolphins can be adorable, don't push too far when you play with them. They can be extremely aggressive since they are carnivores and they eat meat. With about a hundred teeth, who knows what they will do to you the moment you make them angry. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad's Go. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Have you ever eaten a rainbow? I mean, not a real rainbow that you see after a rain but a bowl of fruit that have different colors purple grapes, red strawberries, and green avocados. They are not only delicious, but they are also beautiful. Have you ever wondered how do the fruit get their colors and do the colors have anything to do with the fruit's benefits? If those questions do pop up in your mind, Stay to the end of the podcast. Fruits have red colors thanks to a plant pigment called lycopene. Lycopene is a powerful antioxidant that can help reduce the risk of cancer and keep our heart healthy. It can also protect us from ultraviolet light exposure and tobacco smoke. Red fruits not only benefit our health, but they can also be ingredients for our makeup products. If you want your lips to have a natural looking red color, cherries and pomegranates are the best. Strawberries and raspberries can also give our lips a subtle glow. The compounds that give orange and yellow fruit and vegetables their colors are called carotenoids. Carotenoids can boost our immune system and improve our vision. That's why oranges are always in great demand. I love eating oranges after dinner. The only thing that I don't like about this fruit is that whenever kids see me holding an orange in my hand, they always ask me a question. Which orange came first, the fruit or the color? Unlike the chicken and egg debate, the answer to this question is entirely plausible. The word was first used to describe the fruit. About 200 years later, people named the color after the fruits. Before that, they just called the color yellow and red. The plant's pigment anthocyanin is what gives purple fruits and vegetables their distinctive color. Plants produce these pigments to protect themselves against attacks from insects and damage from UV light. 
Those fruits can protect our cells from damage, thereby reducing the risk of cancer, stroke, heart disease, and obesity. Actually, not many fruits and veggies are purple. Purple fruits like grapes, blueberries, and other berries are everywhere in the market, but we rarely see other fruits and veggies in this color. Imagine that we come across purple tomatoes or purple carrots in the supermarket. Would you buy them? Because it's hard to tell whether they are deadly. It's better to avoid them. There's no harm in looking at them, but eating them is a different story. We never know what the farmers use to make the fruits and vegetables have the color. They would do anything for the revenue. How people dye and inject vegetables to make them look fresher and bigger keeps making the headline. They pick the vegetables from their farms, put them in a tank, apply colors, and send them off to the market. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Today, I'm going to answer one of your requested questions in the comment on how to practice your listening skills in the most effective way. To be honest, there's no best way to learn anything. It all depends on which learning methods are more suitable for you. Personally, how I practice my listening skills stays the same throughout the years. There are no new tips and tricks, really. If you want to know what learning techniques I'm still using daily, here are the five tips that can help you practice and improve your listening skills tremendously. First tip: You should start watching English movies and TV shows. There are reasons why many people before me have also recommended this very same tip, and one of those reasons is simply to help you learn English in a relaxed manner. It's because when you stress yourself out by listening to audio files specifically for standardized tests like IELTS and TOEFL, not only would you get bored, but you also make it difficult for your brain to comprehend things that you may or may not hear. But there's nothing wrong with this type of listening practice. What I'm trying to say is, if you don't have any upcoming tests awaiting you, then this first tip may be what you want to do daily. My recommendation is to watch TV shows that are easy to understand, something like Friends or How I Met Your Mother. If you want something more advanced, you should start looking for something more visual, action-packed, things that bring you excitement, that make you think about what is happening in the movie. Then you can start moving on to different genres like sci-fi, dark comedy, and drama. Tip number two: You should always watch movies with subtitles first. I have explained this tip in another video on my channel. For those who don't understand why you need to turn on your subtitles while watching in your target language, basically studies show that you learn better with subtitles, while it takes a much longer time for you to learn without them. So my suggestion is to watch your favorite movies or TV shows with subtitles first, and then turn it off later once you have some idea of what is said by the characters. This way, you'll be able to focus more on just training your ears during the rewatch. Third tip: 
You should listen to many accents. When I first started learning English, I never thought that I needed to get familiar with many accents to understand the language. Then it occurred to me that I couldn't understand much of what is said in a British or Australian accent. I realized that to become a better listener in English, I need to listen to the language in several other accents. So if you're interested in cooking and only listening to the content in an American accent, go on YouTube or other social media platforms and find people who talk about cooking, but this time with a British accent. Tip number four: You should have some knowledge of English pronunciation. Have you ever wondered why so many words like though, thought, through, thorough look so similar but sound so different? If you have trouble distinguishing one word from another, you will find it very difficult to understand what English speakers say to you. So, by learning English pronunciation, you will be able to recognize subtle differences between each word, which in time makes it much easier for you to improve your listening. And last but not least, tip number five: You need to be a consistent learner. Learning can be a tedious process. And depending on your current level, it may take a very long time to see any difference at all. That's why to stay consistent, you need to find yourself a way to practice English every day. One simple trick that I found the most effective is to make learning English a necessity. And to do that, one thing you can try without having to live in an English-speaking country is to hang out with English-speaking friends. You can also change language settings to English on your phone, laptop, or computer. And you can even Google everything you need to know in your target language. This way, you will learn English much more rapidly because now it has become an integral part of your life. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Datsugo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Is it safe to shop at the supermarket? If your answer is yes, maybe the relaxing and welcoming atmosphere at the supermarket have overwhelmed you. In fact, supermarkets are not places where you could go around as though you're strolling along the beach. It is a jungle in disguise. Remember the last time you went to the supermarket? Did you end up wasting money on unessential items? Today, in this podcast, I will share with you all the tricks supermarkets use to get us to spend more money. Supermarkets love plain slow and relaxing music. The music affects our behavior more than we could imagine. It makes us move more slowly through a store and end up buying more unnecessary things. If we walk into a local supermarket. And there's no background music. We're more likely to grab what we need and get out of the place quickly. In the 1980s, marketing professor Ronald E. Milliman proved the effects of classical music on shoppers. 
he revealed that sales volume was 38% higher on days when stores played slow, repetitive music. Music isn't the only trick to make us spend more of our money, to make us lose track of time and forget about what's happening outside. Supermarkets rarely have clocks or windows. Supermarkets fear that those things can distract us from doing our shopping, and we might want to go home or do something else if we constantly look at them. Those inviting tastes instead are not as innocent as they look. A free bite of chocolate reminds us how good it tastes and encourages us to buy it. The real purpose of inviting us free food is to exploit us for our kindness. When seeing a smiling person giving us free food, many of us feel an urge to give them something back. But don't be guilty if we don't buy the product. First of all, it's not what we come in looking for at the beginning. Second, it's just part of their job. If they meet us in the street, there's no chance they invite us to free things. The best advice in this situation is that if you don't need the product, go past those tasting stands when seeing them. Every shelf is stocked strategically. Expensive premium products are at our eye level. While brightly colored sugar-loaded cereal and macaroni are placed where the kids could easily see, when we see things that capture our attention, we might grab it without noticing it. And when the kids see things that get their interest, we have no choice but to buy what they want, or else they will shatter our spirit with incessant begging. From music to decoration to product placement, everything about supermarkets makes me realize that they are not as benevolent as they seem. There are lots of traps that seduce us to buy more than we need. So, before heading to the supermarket, make sure you write down a list of items you need, or you end up draining your credit card. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day, while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit. From this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad's Dago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. I lead a busy life, so I have little time tidying my house. My house used to be cluttered with heaps of books on the floor, dirty dishes in the sink. And clothes scattered everywhere. You know, there's always a huge mountain between me and my plan of clean the place. 
seeing me so stressed in that situation, my friend recommended that I should watch Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, a popular Netflix series. At first, I was skeptical that watching TV could help me, but to please my friend, I still did as she said, and it changed my life. Marie Kondo was the star of the series. She was an organization expert and founder of KonMarie Media Inc. Her method told us to touch every single item and see whether it sparked joy to us. If it didn't bring joy to our life, we should get rid of it. If we had a strong attachment to it, we should keep it. I found it quite interesting, so I observed Marie Kondo intensely, listened to her word by word, and then decided to skip the first step. Instead of physically holding them and feeling the connection between me and my items, I got rid of unnecessary things, old textbooks, yellowed clothes, chipped dishes. I was so excited because my method was better than that of Marie Kondo. It was time-saving, and I didn't have to read their minds. However, other steps are really helpful and we should follow them. The result was excellent. There was less stuff in my house, less dirt to clean or vacuum, more space and air to breathe. It lifted a huge burden from my shoulder because now I could come home and wouldn't get anxious when seeing dust, socks and books here and there. It also made me more confident to take people to my shelter and show them around my house. But until now, Many people are still against this lifestyle. They don't like minimalism for many reasons. First, they claim that they have the right to live life the way they want to. They don't want other people to tell them to tidy everything. They're right about this. But to me, tidying is an act of self-love. Coming home will become more enjoyable when seeing everything shining clean. Second, they say that it's tough to clear out sentimental stuff because they fear that once they throw away these objects, they would lose the precious memories and legacy that goes with them. But I'm afraid I have to disagree with them. As Marie Kondo says, truly precious memories will never vanish even if you discard things associated with them. Personally, I love minimalism because they changed my life for the better. And what I like the most about it is that I could see the result immediately. Unlike diet or exercise, I only need to put in 5, 10 or 15 minutes of tidying and then we'll see visible results instantly. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dat Ngo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. This is a true story about a magician named Harry Houdini, who claimed that he was able to break free from any prison cell in the world. Then, Houdini was challenged to make his breakout attempt in an old jail in the British Isles. And, of course, he accepted the challenge. 
thinking he had done it hundreds of times, he headed straight to the jail cell with no hesitation. He confidently took off his coat and started lock picking. However, this time was different. After thirty minutes passed, Houdini's confidence started to disappear, and his clothes were soaked in sweat. After hours of trying, Houdini finally collapsed against the cell door, defeated only to realize the door was never locked in the first place. Do you remember the last time you tried to do something important? Maybe because it's so important, you wanted it to be perfect, and. You spend the majority of your time planning and overthinking instead of actually doing it. If this is you, then stay until the end of this podcast. From the story, we learned that our famous escape artist Harry Houdini failed the challenge miserably. He overthought how complicated it must have been to unlock the cell door after hours of trying. However. It was never locked to begin with, and because Houdini was stuck in his old ways of thinking, he failed to escape not only from the prison cell but also from his own mind. Just like Houdini, we might have fallen victim to what is called analysis paralysis from time to time. This phenomenon occurs when there is too much activity in the brain's prefrontal cortex, the part. That is responsible for planning, working memory, and executive functions, hence causing interference in one's performance. In 2013, a group of researchers from the University of California at Santa Barbara found that paralysis by analysis caused athletes to choke during competitions. For those who aren't sure about the meaning of choking in sports. It usually happens when pressure and anxiety prevent someone from winning. Most of the time, overthinkers tend to indulge in the act of rumination because many believe that it's helpful in terms of solving or preventing future problems. However, ruminating can only further damage your mental health. And trust me, as your mind gets worse, you tend to dwell on your problems even more. That adds to the reason why you probably find it difficult to fall asleep at night if you are an overthinker. So, how do you stop overthinking? Tony Robbins once said, "We are all telling ourselves stories. The question is, does your story empower you or hold you back? Maybe you have been telling yourself that I've always been this way, and overthinking is just a part of who I am. If." This is the case. You need to ask yourself, why do I overthink at all? Could it be the fear of failure, or could it be that you desperately want to be in control? Either way, it's important to understand that it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from each one of them, and more importantly, never give up on your goals and dreams. Failure is a part of life, and the faster you fail. The faster you learn to succeed, don't be afraid if your plan isn't perfect, because the reality will often tell you a different story anyway. So, why not just do it? Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. 
My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Hypnosis is the most misunderstood and controversial method of psychotherapy. It is because you have probably seen hypnosis on stage used by a magician who made the audience dance or cluck like a chicken before, and maybe you have also seen hypnosis used to manipulate and mind control people in Hollywood movies. So now you are questioning: Is it real? Can anyone be mind controlled? Can a hypnotized person control their body at all? The short answer to the first question is yes. Hypnosis is real, but not in the way you may think. Unlike the Hollywood version, it is actually a very effective form of therapy with a success rate of 93%. People with insomnia, depression, anxiety, and many other conditions can receive treatment through hypnosis. However, there is a misconception many people have that hypnotized individuals are unable to control their bodies, which is totally wrong. Hypnosis only works when you are highly suggestible or at least believe in it. To be properly hypnotized, you need to be in a quiet, comfortable setting without any distraction. Then, during the session, a trained hypnotist will help you relax and start using repetitive verbal cues to put you in a state of focused attention. Once you enter this hypnotic trance-like state, which is like sleeping but not really, you become more open to suggestions or advice. Your therapist will then help you visualize your future goals. And guide you towards achieving them through making healthier decisions. At the end of the hypnosis session, your hypnotherapist will bring you back to full consciousness from the trance-like state. As you can already tell by now, it would be difficult to randomly call someone on stage and make them do what you want them to do, unless the participants like the attention of the spotlight. They may do as suggested after being hypnotized. So to answer the question, can you be mind controlled? I would say that it is very unlikely. When you're hypnotized, you're only relaxed and highly suggestible. However, you are still awake and fully capable of making your own decisions. Now you might shake your head in disbelief and say, "I can't be hypnotized." If this is you, then you're probably right. Studies show there are only 10 to 15 percent of the population known as somnambulists. Who are highly suggestible. So unless you are open to the experience, you can never be hypnotized by anyone, not even yourself. But here is something interesting. Even though some of you might not believe in hypnosis, you are actually in a trance-like state at least two times a day without knowing it. Not just before you fall asleep and wake up in the morning, you also experience it while daydreaming. Reading a book, or even driving on a familiar road from home to work, the world ceases to exist temporarily, and you seem to lose track of time whenever you are in a flow state, focusing on that one thing in your head. Normally, you won't be aware of it happening until you get snapped back to reality by something disruptive like a phone call. So, to recap, hypnosis is real and a great therapeutic tool for patients commonly with depression. 
anxiety and insomnia, and you can only be hypnotized if you are willing to be hypnotized. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dat Nugo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Have you ever thought about why some people love writing so much? Maybe it is their career, or they are just passionate about writing in general. Whatever the case may be, there is one thing in common: they practice writing every single day. Meanwhile, you feel paralyzed by having too many thoughts in your head, and because of it, writing now seems like nothing but a time-consuming activity. However, you might not have realized that writing everything down on a piece of paper can actually help you calm down and reorganize your thoughts. This method, by far, is. One of the most effective ways to bring order back into your life. Why, you ask? Here are three reasons you should start writing more today. Number one, writing helps you learn better. In a study conducted in 2014, the researchers found that college students who hand wrote their notes performed better. Than those who used their laptops to record lessons, and it didn't matter if they were tested right away after each class, or at the end of the semester, the result remained the same. Another study also suggests that you can remember 29% more information if you doodle your notes throughout the lecture. How is it even possible? I suspect that when you take the time to note down the lesson, you'll be able to pay more attention to the details that you might otherwise completely miss. And since it takes extra effort to keep track of what you write on paper, you can't help but increase your focus on the information you are supposed to be obtaining. So. If you are planning to acquire a new language, for example, don't be afraid to write down everything you learned from books, magazines, miniseries, or movies. And the more you write, the more you'll be able to recall needed words and phrases when you finally have a chance to communicate with someone in your target language. Number two, writing makes everything clearer. Do you rely too much on your memory? If so, the reason might be that you perceive writing as a massive waste of time, and indeed, writing can be a slow, tedious process. But the truth is, 
you can't hold too many things in your head while trying to solve a problem at the same time. Your memory is not that reliable, and for awesome ideas not to be forgotten, you need to capture them quickly by writing them all down on a piece of paper. When you don't have to remember every little thing, like what to have for breakfast, you make room for better, higher-level thoughts, which, in the end, often brings you the clarity to focus on what matters most to you. And once you have a clear direction in mind, you should be able to feel relaxed and confident when it comes to making your own decisions. Number three. Writing brings you closure. Are you still holding on to painful memories that you find difficult to let go of? Well, you are not alone. There is nothing worse than having negative feelings towards a person for years, only to realize that they have already moved on with their lives. But To leave it all behind, sometimes you need to learn how to forgive the other person, and by giving yourself the freedom to write whatever you want in a letter, you have the power to let go of your anger and resentment. Now that you have healthily expressed your emotions, toss the letter away or burn it, as it is time for you to move on from the past. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Why are there gay people? As you may know, evolution naturally favors genes that can be continued to the next generation, and that would mean homosexuality should have faded out over time. It makes sense that genes that don't lead humans to reproduce would not be reproduced. But why didn't gay people disappear altogether? One possibility is that maybe evolution is not trying to get rid of things that are deemed to be useless. Sometimes the variations in our genes could be beneficial for the survival of the species. So even though those variations may cause homosexuality, it does not necessarily mean that being gay is wrong. In many countries like France, Sweden, and Spain, people are now more accepting of the LGBT community. Many believe homosexuality not only gives certain advantages to society, but also makes the human race more resilient. As E. O. Wilson, an American biologist, once said, "A society that condemns homosexuality condemns itself." So, how do gay people contribute to our society? One hypothesis suggests that people who do not have children would spend more time and resources for younger family members, like their nieces and nephews. Thanks to these gay uncles and aunts, that family's genes will have a better chance of being passed on to the next generation. You see, 
There are advantages for families to have a certain percentage of gay children, but that may not be the only evolutionary purpose of being homosexual. Another reason why some people are gay is because of the fraternal birth order effect. Basically, it says that the more older siblings someone has, the higher chance that person will turn out to be gay, and this only applies to men with biological brothers, not women with their older siblings. It appears that during pregnancies, the mother's immune system weakens the fetus's Y-linked protein, which is important in male brain development. The effect gets stronger each time a woman is pregnant with a boy, which increases the odds of giving birth to a gay son. This actually makes a lot of sense in a world where overpopulation is becoming a problem. The existence of gay people may somewhat slow down the negative effect we have on the environment. So, what do you think about gay people? Does this information change your preconception of homosexuality? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Have you ever wondered why dogs like to lick people? If so, I'm going to show you the hidden meanings behind their licking behavior. There are many reasons why dogs love giving slobbery kisses to humans. One very common explanation many people believe is that they do it out of love. Though indeed, dogs sometimes show affection to us. The licking behavior can also mean something else. When puppies get hungry, they tend to lick their mothers' faces as a way of asking for food, as evidenced by the fact that many wild canids also possess the same survival instinct. Licking might also indicate that your dog wants to get your attention. They will start licking your mouth, hands, and feet to get you to initiate a play with their favorite toy. Why your dog often wants to lick you may also be explained that they like the taste of sweat on your skin. With only 1,700 taste buds in comparison to about 9,000 in humans, your dog's sense of taste is far from being as powerful as ours. Because of it, your dog might not be able to taste the same thing as we do. So that kind of explains why dogs find our sweat irresistible, even if it seems quite disgusting to most people. Sometimes they also like to show submission to your authority because your dogs trust and respect you. Another reason why dogs love licking people is that we trained them to do so. Although we might not be aware of it, we often indulge and reinforce the licking by petting and caressing our dogs as a reward for their behavior. But is it okay to let them lick you? Since both you and your dog contain tons of bacteria, it is easy to spread harmful diseases to one another. So, as much as you might think that dogs' tongues are cleaner than ours, for safety reasons. Do not let your loyal canine friend lick you, especially in the mouth. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, 
My name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. We all have experienced hiccups before, though short-lived. They can be very annoying. Some people do have hiccups for a long period of time, and the longest hiccups to have ever been recorded lasted for 68 years. Charles Osborne remembered well the day it all started. It was way back in 1922 when he was hanging a 350-pound hog, which then fell on top of him and caused him to hiccup non-stop until the year 1990. Most of the time, hiccups come from either eating too much or too quickly. Not only that, they can also follow intense emotions like anxiety, excitement, and stress. Hiccups tend to start when your diaphragm, the dome-shaped muscle under your lungs, gets irritated to the point of involuntary contraction. It forces you to suddenly suck in air like a vacuum for a brief moment, only to stop it from entering your lungs by rapidly closing and opening your glottis. Now you might be wondering, why do all this just to make the distinct sound hic? What is the true purpose of hiccups besides making us feel uncomfortable in front of others? As annoying as they might be, hiccups are pretty much harmless. However, if your hiccups last for 48 hours or longer, it's a sign that you might have serious illnesses like stroke, tumors, meningitis, and infections. Other than that, they provide no physiological advantage whatsoever. But is it really the case? Do hiccups have hidden roles we haven't yet discovered, or are they just remnants of what used to be functional in the past? Well, one theory suggests that around 370 million years ago, when early fish had to live in warm, stagnant water with little oxygen, they evolved to take advantage of the abundant air above the water. Thanks to the hiccup-like reflex. Water was kept from entering the lungs as they transitioned from gill to lung-breathing animals. It is similar to what tadpoles have to experience before fully turning into frogs. Another theory, however, suggests that hiccups also served an important purpose, which is to help our four-legged ancestors swallow food better, since they won't walk in upright like today's humans. Gravity couldn't help them with the food sticking in the throat during that ancient time. Now, here is the question that you've been longing for: How do we get rid of hiccups? There are plenty of home remedies out there, from drinking a lot of cold water to having someone jump scare you out of nowhere. But the most effective way to cure hiccups is by controlling your breathing muscles. So. If you experience some temporary hiccups, try holding your breath while drinking water at the same time. However, if they last longer than two days or 48 hours, then you may want to visit a doctor for a checkup. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. 
share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Datsnago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Laughter is contagious. Sometimes we laugh even though we don't know the reasons why. We just laugh when seeing others laughing. It sounds a bit weird, isn't it? Laughter comes unconsciously. It's not easy for us to decide when to laugh or what to laugh at. If you're curious about why you laugh unconsciously, grab your favorite cup of tea and stay to the end of the podcast. Hopefully, what I share with you would help you have more laughter in your life. Laughter turns out to be a lovely way to be together. Most of us laugh when we surround ourselves with people who we find it comfortable to be around. It's hard to laugh with our rivals or our competitors. No matter how funny they are, it's annoying to see their faces and hear their silly jokes. As Gina Murad, a professor of psychology at Johnson State College, says. Smiling and laughing is a way to say to each other, "I like you, I trust you, I enjoy being with you. You make me happy." Laughter helps us bond with other people, but there's a difference between laughing with and laughing at. People who laugh at others try to fit into a group of people. Meanwhile. People who enjoy conversations live in the present moment and laugh with others. It's a sad reality that adults hardly laugh with others. We even laugh less than a child. How come we are worse than children? Is it because as an adult we are less likely to like each other? Probably that's part of the reason, but. The main reason is that kids are less boring than us. They know how to play. They know how to share things. They don't argue over the small stuff, and if they do, they make it up quickly. There's a definite natural exuberance in children and babies, which many of us are envious of how lucky they are. On the other hand. With so many burdens on shoulders, it's hard for adults to befriend others. They hardly laugh. They only laugh at things they find it surprising or unusual. It's exactly the same case for babies. They tend to laugh at unexpected things like funny faces, goofy dance moves, and silly sounds like popping. Or kissing noises, a squeaky voice, or blowing your lips together. If babies laugh at a toy, a pet, or a person, it proves that they are their favorite, because the baby's response tends to be genuine. If you want to bring laughter and joy to other people, 
there are some rules you must keep in mind. First, the joke must be in a language we can understand. Second, it must be spoken loudly enough for us to hear it, or printed clearly enough for us to read it. And third, unexpected details are the key to make people laugh. The way you tell a story should be the same way you tickle other people. If you can't surprise them, there's no way they would laugh. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day, while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. The compass is one of the oldest devices used for navigating directions. Without it, early explorers had to look at the stars and local landmarks for guidance. Since traveling long distances at the time was quite challenging, the invention of compasses made getting directions in the middle of nowhere become more practical. So, how do the navigational instrument work? If you notice. One end of the compass needle is colored or marked with the letter N, and no matter where you are on Earth, if you have a compass in your hand, that end will always point toward the North Pole because of magnetism. You see, the Earth is like a giant magnet; its south magnetic pole attracts the North Pole of the compass needle. However, the Earth's magnetic poles are different from its geographic ones. And the South Magnetic Pole is actually near the North Geographic Pole. So the reason why the North Pole of the compass needle points north is that it is attracted to the South Magnetic Pole of the Earth, and vice versa. Because the Earth's North Magnetic Pole attracts the South Pole of the needle, the other end of it points south. I know it can be a little confusing, but that is how they named these things. Now, did you know that it is actually easy to make yourself a compass? Anyone can create a simple navigational instrument using a magnet, a needle, a cork, and a bowl of water. All you need to do is first rub the needle 50 times with a magnet. Once it gets magnetized, you push the needle horizontally through the cork, and then you test the compass by placing it in the bowl of water. If it works. The needle should slowly spin and align itself with the Earth's magnetic field. However, if it doesn't move, you might want to magnetize it again or try to place the needle in a different direction. What else do you want to know? Do you have any topics that you would like me to cover in future videos? Let me know in the comment below. I hope that you learned something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub for more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad Nago. 
I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Cooking is never easy. It's not about mixing all the ingredients and laying the dish on the table. It's about putting all of your heart and soul into the dish and turning it into a masterpiece. If you teach your children cooking at a young age, it would benefit them a lot in the future. Today, in this podcast, I will share with you all the reasons why we should teach our children this skill. Everything about cooking requires carefulness, from preparation to cooking to cleaning up. Your children have to be careful in every step. To make a tasty dish, they have to carefully select fresh ingredients, measure the flavor, and decorate the plate. But if your children mess up a step, don't be too harsh on them. After all, cooking is just about planning and patience. If they screw it up, they could try it again, and maybe next time they would blow your mind. Beyond the practical skills, cooking requires collaboration. Though it doesn't seem that cooking is difficult. It actually takes a lot of time and effort. Specialization is the key to making a tasty dish. No one could be all good at selecting fresh ingredients, measuring the flavor, or decorating the plate. Perhaps some people could do it, but everything would run more smoothly and perfectly. If each person in a group specializes in one thing, cooking is also a way for your children to learn about other cultures by reading different recipes from different sources and experimenting with the flavor. They could know that food tastes different around the world. In Western culture, people prefer to use herbs, butter, cheese, and wine to improve the taste. Meanwhile, in Asian culture, people would rely more on spices like oyster sauce, soy sauce, fish sauce, and sugar. The main purpose of cooking is to bond with your children. If You spend time cooking with your children. You could understand more their personalities from the way they cook. If they prefer interaction in the kitchen, they are friendly and outgoing. If they just silently read the recipe and finish everything by themselves, they are independent. And don't usually share their ideas with other people. Besides, cooking can make your children realize how much time and effort it takes you to accomplish a healthy and tasty meal for the family. Cooking is a survival skill, so it's essential to teach your children how to cook at a young age.
just as the air we eat or the water we drink. No one could survive without eating. These days, it's really dangerous to eat food at restaurants, even at pricey ones. If your children don't choose fresh ingredients and cook everything from scratch, they could run a risk of getting severe diseases like obesity, overweight, heart disease, or diabetes. Since you can't stay with your children forever, the sooner you teach them how to cook, the better it is for them. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day, while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that. They can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad's the Go. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Like many ocean lovers, I feel refreshed by the presence of the ocean. I could find peace in my soul. Only by looking at crystal clear water and feeling the breeze play upon my cheek. But I never enjoy swimming. If you almost died in the sea like me, with lots of water up to your nose and in your mouth, you would never have the courage to swim again. That's also the time I realized how the sea tasted different from fresh water. That memory have frightened me. Have provoked my curiosity, so I did a little research to see why the sea was bitter, and why it tasted different from the lake, river, stream water, or tap water. I'm going to share it with you right now, so be sure to stay to the end of the podcast. Water covers two thirds of the Earth's surface, but the vast majority of that water. Around 97% is salty. Some areas of the ocean are saltier than others, but on average, there are 35 grams of salt per kilogram of seawater. The seawater near the North and South Poles isn't salty, since it is diluted by melted ice. Meanwhile, in warmer tropical areas. The water is saltier. People often think that the Dead Sea is the saltiest place, but according to U.T. Hammer, the author of Saline Lake Ecosystems of the World, the saltiest place in the world is Don Juan Pond, an area that nothing could survive. Before giving you the answer why the sea water is bitter, I will share with you an interesting fact. Do you know that the rain is formed from seawater? When the sun heats the water in the sea, it changes into gas, rises into the air, and forms clouds. Then, when the clouds are heavy enough, 
Raindrops start to form and rain down onto our head. You may wonder, so how does that have anything to do with the sea bitterness? Does the evaporation makes the cloud saltier, or does the rain mix with something and get saltier? The first hypothesis is, well, incorrect. The heat of the sun evaporates seawater and produces vapor. Seawater is salty. However, when seawater evaporates, the salt is left behind. The second one is right. When the rain is still in the air, it absorbs a small number of chemicals called carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide. Then, the weak acid in it dissolves mineral salt from rocks, including sodium and chloride. The rainwater carrying those salt along with it flows off the land and into the rivers and streams that lead to the sea. But if the rivers and streams are carrying those dissolved salt, why aren't they as salty as the sea? It's because the river water is always running, so it doesn't store the salt. All the salt will end up in the sea water. So normally, the seawater contains 300 times more dissolved salt than average river water. Since rivers and streams continually flow into the sea, bringing the salt with it, you might think the sea is getting saltier over time. But actually, so this salt is removed by algae and animals that live in the sea, and some is deposited as sediment on the bottom of the ocean. So. The salt going into the sea keeps a balance with the salt being deposited or removed. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families. So that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Datsdio. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. We often hear that lazy people are smart. They find the easiest, most convenient, and brilliant ways to do things. But considering that there are no shortcuts to success. Can they still succeed in their career? The answer is yes. If they are lazy, sensibly, and properly, nothing could keep them from achieving things. Today, in this podcast, we'll discuss how lazy people become experts in their field and move up the career ladder. Warren Buffett, one of the wealthiest people on the planet, said, "The difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people are lazy." And they say no to almost everything. How come Warren Buffett, a wise old man, suppose that those lying all day and doing nothing will go far in life? True, no one could succeed without working the butt off. What Warren Buffett wants to say is that lazy people know how to prioritize their goals and work hard on things that matter to them. According to his biographer, Buffett ignores almost everything. Including art, literature, travel, and focuses only on his passion, business. He becomes the Oracle of Omaha and one of the greatest investors of all time, 
also the most stone-cold and ruthless prioritizer in the world. When his personal pilot asked him for career advice, Buffett told him to write a list of his top 25 goals, then circle the five most important goals. What he said next astonished the pilot. He told him to concentrate only on five goals and throw the rest out of his mind. That's wise advice. The less we do, the more we are likely to succeed. As Malcolm Gladwell discussed in his bestseller Outliers, to become an expert, it takes 10,000 hours or approximately 10 years of deliberate practice. If the pilot wanted to accomplish all 25 goals in his life, it would take him about 250 years. I guess that means unless he's a vampire, he could get nowhere near expert level with so many goals in life. Another strategy Buffett uses to make him successful in his career is that he says no to opportunities and things that don't excite him. He says no to overwork. He says no to people pleasing, and he says no to superficial networking events in which people swap business cards and never hear from one another. Those thoughts have made Warren Buffett become an expert in a field, which makes people pay for his time and effort. So, if lazy people become experts in something, whether it's finding the best travel deals, posting to social media, or playing online games, chances are. There will be many opportunities for them. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Welcome back to the Detmold podcast. Have you ever forgotten the name of a person, the date of your friend's birthday, or the word you want to use? Somehow, a piece of information just vanishes from your memory, making you struggle to recall details or information. When your families and friends see you show those signs, they start to tease you about your memory, until one day it happens so often that you question yourself: What if they are right? What if there's something wrong with my memory? What if I'm at the only stage of Alzheimer's disease? If you've been there, don't panic. In this podcast, I will show you why the young can be forgetful sometimes. Not all of us have equal memories. If you're studying for an exam, don't worry if you cannot pound all the textbooks in your head like your peers. Some people can remember things better than others. Just that some people are better at math or athletics. Maybe. Your friends don't remember other things such as closing the door or what they ate a few weeks ago, but you can describe it in vivid detail. These four signs are often mistaken for indicators of dementia. First, you tend to forget facts or events over time. Brain scientists regard it as beneficial because it clears the brain of unused memories, making way for newer, more useful ones. Second, you are absent-minded. This type of forgetting occurs when you don't pay close enough attention to what you are doing. For example, you forget where you place your glasses or your car keys. Third, you retrieve the wrong information. The memory problem occurs when the data is similar to another, making you confused. Finally, you could recall something accurately in parts, but cannot remember the detail like the time. 
place or person involved. If you have one of the signs I've just mentioned, you shouldn't worry. It only becomes an issue when you reach the age of 16. Unless there's a family history, it's rare that a person below the age of 60 exhibits the symptoms of dementia. If you do feel your memory deteriorates temporarily, stress and sleep loss are the culprit to blame. There's a lot of evidence to suggest chronic stress can lead to memory impairments, says Jason Radley, an assistant professor of brain sciences at the University of Iowa. When we overload our mind by doing so many things at a time, our brains are unable to hold on to new information. It hurts our brain's ability to encode new memories and hamper your memory. So, to improve your memory, you should sleep 8 hours every night and shouldn't bury yourself in work. Relaxation is also essential. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you did learn something new today. Our goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dats Nigo. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Have you ever met someone maybe in your school or in your workplace who can't seem to feel tired from a heavy workload? It puzzles you that somehow they always manage to meet the deadline. Meanwhile, you're dreading having to block out 8 hours a day just to put in some work. And it's already excruciating for you to think about it. Now, you might be wondering how can they have that kind of discipline and motivation to do what they do on a daily basis? How can I be just like them? If you are feeling this way, don't worry, as you're about to understand how motivation works, you'll be able to use your willpower in the right way without wasting too much effort or mental energy on things that don't matter. And in order to do that, your existing belief system needs to change for this to really work. First, let me tell you a real story. This story is about a man named Denlock who has a fish tank and one day he finds out that some of his fish died. So he asks a fish tank expert to solve his problem. The expert says that the dead fish was sick and the other fish might be sick as well. The fish tank owner freaks out and asks, so what can I do to stop this from happening? How can I treat the fish? Do I need to give my fish some sort of medicine? Then the expert says to the owner, well, when a fish is sick, you don't treat the fish, you treat the water. So what is your takeaway from the story? Oftentimes, we're mistaken that our failure is only due to our lack of motivation and discipline or simply because our willpower is not strong enough. However, nothing could be further from the truth. When it comes to any kind of success, it's important to know what you want and who you have to become in order to achieve it. Then create the right environment to set you up for success. Don't try to rely too much on your willpower because it will almost always disappoint you. And by creating the right environment, I mean 
having a strong support system, like for example, having a circle of friends that support you, or working with a group of positive and like-minded people. That explains the saying, "Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future," by a multimillionaire, Dan Pena. So always keep this in mind as you're planning to make a positive change in your life. Second, now have you known the truth about willpower? How can you do what you say you're going to do without giving up, no matter what happens? It's a tough question indeed. But the answer might surprise you with its level of simplicity. An idea was first introduced by Dr. Maxwell Marsh around 1960. He suggested that each one of us has our own self-image, and we all act consistently with whom we believe we are. So, if you think that you are a smoker, then there's no way in hell you are going to quit smoking, no matter how much you want to. Even if you were able to quit, on a subconscious level, you somehow sabotage yourself back to the way you were as a smoker. The same goes for weight loss, eating healthy foods, quitting video games, studying for exams, working hard for that promotion, and much, much more. The bottom line is. You should know who you have to be so that you can produce the kind of result that you want in life. After figuring out the self-image that you truly desire, create the right environment that supports your growth. Believe in the process. Believe in yourself, and most importantly, start taking action today. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hi, my name is Dad's Go. I am a computer scientist and also an English teacher. Welcome back to my English podcast. Fear is a primal and powerful emotion that is experienced by every single one of us. And thanks to this survival mechanism, our ancestors were able to remember bad experiences and stay alive when facing one or multiple potential threats. Fear is not only the reason why we survive and thrive in this time and age, but also the greatest motivator that keeps us inside our comfort zone. And because of fear, we often shy away from our problems and spend the majority of our time preparing and waiting for the right moment. Chances are, it's unlikely that these moments will ever come. Therefore, instead of taking action, you end up making no progress at all. So, how do we control our fear and stop it from affecting our lives? There are good news and bad news, and the sooner we rip off the bandaid, the better. So, here is the bad news. Even though we can decide what action to take in any given situation, we can't really control our feelings, and 
No matter how many times you try to overcome an issue, you will almost always feel a little scared and nervous. It happens when it's time to give a speech in front of others, when things are uncertain and hard to control, or when you finally get up enough courage to talk to your crush. You see, it's not easy to face your fear because, in the past, you might have experienced failures so traumatizing that you decided to stop trying altogether. And maybe that's the reason why you feel so weak and powerless. This, in turn, makes it hard to love and respect yourself. As a result. You let these negative thoughts and feelings sabotage your way to getting what you truly desire. But think about it: when it comes to achieving anything significant, too often we all have to step outside of our comfort zone. Though it might be difficult to face your fear, with enough courage and confidence, anything is possible. You see, it's important to understand that fear will never go away completely. However, it does get smaller and smaller every time you face it. So, instead of viewing fear as a negative emotion, we should accept it as a part of our nature and see it as an opportunity to grow stronger. The more you take action in the face of fear. The more confident you will be, just like what is said in the title of the book written by Susan Jeffers, "Feel the fear and do it anyway." And of course, it doesn't mean that you have to do things that are too risky, or that you can just mindlessly do anything unprepared. What I'm saying is, with enough planning, stand your ground. And take massive actions instead of running away from your fear. Then you might ask, "But when do I know I'm ready to take on new challenges?" Well, you won't. That's all. It is a leap of faith. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you did learn something new today. My goal is to help you gain more useful knowledge every day while improving your English considerably. Don't forget to sub to get more awesome videos every week. Share this video with your friends and families so that they can benefit from this information as well. Thank you for watching. See you guys next time. Hello everyone, visiting my channel. This place is to keep my memories and experiences from day by day, and I want to share good things with everyone in life. I hope my sharing will help you have more inspiration in order to live and work more. We are small people in the hustle and personal life. We connect together and share the joys. I wish you have a lucky day. Thank you so much for your attention. See you soon. How does persistence pay way for success? Being persistent means that you are committed to something you want to achieve and make regular attempts to reach your goal. When we do something constantly, 
we are able to improve upon our shortcomings. Everyday improvement means we become better each day and get closer to what we want to achieve. Most people lack persistence and this is one of the reasons why achieving goals seems too hard. When we start something and do not continue, every time you attend, you attend from beginnings. You tend to forget what you have learned and it appears harder than ever before. Be persistent in your efforts. It doesn't matter if your steps are big or small. What matters is you move constantly toward your goals.